ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. We've been on a roll. You can't get us on nothing talking. I think that's why we do good when when Joe's on because he uh, exactly. keeps us in check, <laughs> right? Yeah, keeps us from chasing rabbits. Man, oh man! So on with my brother Gilbert Ornelas, Big O. What's happening, man? How you been? Big O, Big O is in the house, man. It is uh, it, it Thanksgiving, you know, time here, uh, guy, and we're thankful for all that we have. And uh, it's been a rough couple years, brother, uh, you know, with our economy down here and the way things are going. But, you know, we're blessed, super blessed. And I can't uh, thank you enough for for letting me join the Cali badass uh, <laughs> guy, Duplanche. Recording in progress. Uh, it uh, for sure. Thank you very much for I appreciate I appreciate you getting on with me, man. I was I was sitting there and you know I, I took my little we'll call it a hiatus, right? Because that sounds sounds highfalutin. <laughs> sure, man. So I took my little my little hiatus, man, and I was sitting there and I was you know trying to reel stuff in and figure out what I'm gonna do. And I said, "Well, shit, I never talked to Gil. Gil's never yeah, been man. on." And I'm like, "Oh hell no!" And as, as soon as I thought about it, I was like, oh, "I'm a." I hit you up right then, man. Man, I I sure appreciate it. Yeah, we love yeah. your show, brother. Love what you do. Love your content. Everything else, and you know, we talk a lot of times when Joe's with us and everything. And and speaking of that, man, we want to give a shout yeah, out to buddy. Joe Gillia. WWJGD's got a 60th birthday, y'all. Uh, so the big six zero, man. I I hope I get sixty more times around the sun with that dude, man. He's one of my best friends, and we love him. And he's the founder of Elk Bros and the RLH. 
Jefe, if you want to call him. Uh, but man, uh, so proud to call him my friend and my brother. And we just want to wish you a happy birthday, Joe. Yeah, likewise, man. Happy birthday, Big Joe. Love you, bro. Bitch. Yeah, he uh he he well he had messaged me, listened to my my comeback rant episode and uh message me saying i got some thoughts i want to call you <laughs> so you know go, yeah. go back and forth a little bit and he calls me and uh tells me it's his birthday and i'm like oh shoot so we got onto that and he goes oh bro i gotta go i just sat down at the poker table <laughs> so while they were while we were talking they sat him down so he's about to lose some money hopefully he doesn't blow his tag cash is yeah, that how no, he spends that, the Elk Bros finances? That should be yeah. like Hunter. You know what I yeah. mean? Come on, Joe. Uh, you know, he, he bought a jumping jack trailer and all this. Now we find out he's he's gambling with our money down there. Some yeah. some casino, man. We have to have a talk, Joe. Yeah, you got know, all kind of backdoor there, there deals are things going. for like for guys like you, man. Gamblers are anonymous, you know, uh, those kinds of things, man. I, I, I don't know, but he, he loves to play poker. So, uh, you know, we don't we don't allow none of that game gambling in elk camp because man that stuff gets personal but we play every now and then for penny ante stuff just to have fun you know or do some dominoes or something like that does he lose at poker because he don't lose in the elk woods yeah no he don't, he don't <laughs> joe don't like losing at anything let me tell you straight up it's tiddly winks he's coming to win it's that lucky uh, puka that, shell necklace <laughs> yeah <laughs> dude that cat is straight up competitive i like i said brother you don't want to compete with him at brushing your teeth man he can outlast you brother for sure That's uh good dude, but man. Yeah, he's a great guy, man. And, you know, I just one of the best elk callers you've ever met. You know, we had Cole Wilkes in camp with us, the Flatlander himself. And, man, with both of those guys in there, you learn so much calling, you know. Um, it, Joe's been my mentor, my teacher for the last, you know, 12 seasons. So, um, I, you know, I thought I could call. I mean, phew, when you get them two cats together, you just need to shut up and watch the show. You know, they're uh, they're uh, unbelievably uh, astute in in uh, in the way that those elk talk. You know, and uh, and I think you know with everything else, guy, I think we've learned so much about the language. You know, everybody's you know dove in and and talks with you know the man, the myth, the legend, Paul Medell, the elk nut. You know, I mean, thank God that guy puts out that kind of content because it makes a difference. You oh, know, yeah, absolutely. It, and when I first started coming up, I just making elk sounds, you know, and running with that. We didn't really know what we were and saying. You impressed you know? all get up, right? Yeah, man, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, shoot, dude, uh, we uh, we now kind of speak the language and understand things. So that's it's huge. Uh, it's it's been a whole lot better for sure. You know what impresses me? I'll, I'll say the most right um, with with Joe. And it's not really the most. I don't want to just make this about elk. Um, so don't take that the wrong way, Mr. Giglia. <laughs> Mr. Average Joe. <laughs> um, is is the wheels are always turning in terms of the language, right? That's right. Because a lot of times what will happen is you, you get going. And especially if you're calling newer, right? And, and in my head, Talking the talk, it sounds cliche and elk, but talking the talk and actually speaking the language and understand the emotion and what's being said is, I'm going to say your first five or six years, you are still figuring it out because yeah. it's about exposure to the elk and the language, right? Yeah. 
and you lose track of what that was or what you should be doing. And the emotion starts to get you right And the excitement yeah, yeah. starts to get you. And then once the adrenaline gets you, you've blown yeah. the situation. Um, yeah. yeah. But Joe seems to always be in the conversation, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Oh, mm -hmm. that's what you want. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that is mm -hmm. huge, huge, huge in my head is to always be right there and listening to the conversation. And we, I lose sight of it. Right. I'll get yeah. excited and yeah. don't let a some bitch chuckle or challenge. Right. Yeah, exactly. Cause I yeah. will blow that every flipping time, yeah. bro, because I yeah. get so excited and honestly, mm -hmm. I don't care. Like yeah. we had that, that big bull this year. Right. And we, we come up over the Ridge and we're about to drop down and I hear him. So I, I was like, ah, let's see. And I cut him off. Right. Cause he, you could tell he was mm -hmm. amped up and he wasn't even sure. talking to me. And I cut him off, boy, and that's SOB just, roar, he just was going crazy. He's running across the open plane, just, roar, just chuckling and bugling. And I'm just going, and I'm not paying attention to what I should be paying attention to. And I'm just <laughs> battling back and forth. And I, right. he finally was like, oh, this son of a bitch isn't backing down. And he veered off, you know, where are my cows? And I was like, oh, man, I lost sight of it. And it's so, yeah. to my point, it's so easy to do that. Yeah, but you listen to Joe and you talk to Joe and he's like, "Nope, this is what you should have done because of yeah. boom, boom, boom." Yeah. And and to yeah. get to that point is, I think, should be every elk hunter's goal to where you no can just settle in on the pocket. Hey, whoa, you know, you, mm -hmm. you're basically you're your own elk guide at that point, right? When you yeah. got to that point and you can get away from all that emotion and just have the conversation and end that conversation with the thwack and a blood yeah. trail, you you've yeah. done it. Yeah, no, man. And, and, you know, for him, you know, this year was special for us because, you know, we got Chad back out with us and, and we needed to get him in a blind situation. He's he's getting more and more mobile every day, but he knew that that was going to be the way to hunt. And, you know, how Joe set this up for everybody's abilities was really cool. And then, um, you know, he he cut us all loose. You know, he's like, look, I've got the CEO, Rob Canales, coming in. The Flatlander's going to be here. So, you know, our elk hunting coaches were going to be in the house that were going to be on the hunt wars. And he's like, listen, man, you guys are going to have to go out and make it happen. Well, what I didn't know was the legend R.C. Knox was going to be in the house with me and had requested to hunt with me, you know. And, man, that – I've gotten to hunt with R.C. Knox. The first day I ever elk hunted in my life, R.C. Knox was in camp and was with the head guide. And uh, I love R.C. Knox what like I love my own dad. What, what is yeah, that? <laughs> yeah. The hell you say. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, meeting, seeing R.C. and having R.C. in camp with me was going to be crazy. But not only that, it was pressure because when I got there, R.C. goes, all right, man. He goes, we've heard so much about you and I've heard you calling and everything. You're going to run the hunt, you know, and I'm like. Oh my gosh, I got a legend in, you know, in my shirt pocket with me. And he said, I, I'm going to let you roll with it. You're going to do the call in and you're going to pick where, where we're going, how we're doing it. I'm like, wow, man, this, what an honor for me to be able to do that. Right. And uh, so to have RC Knox in the camp, you know, Rob Canales, the CEO of Roca, I mean, dude, it was like having some royalty there with us, you know, and then Cole Wilkes, the Flatlander dude, the guy is an absolute savage in the Elkwoods, uh, calling and, and the, the rest of it. But for me, Joe was what it really meant to me, Luis Manano, the Venezuelan mafia was, all right, boys, 
y'all go. Y'all, I done taught y'all enough. Y'all are ready to rock and roll. Let's go do this by ourselves and let's go, let's go conquer the world. You know? I don't know if y'all should have uh, taken that as a compliment or anything. That might have been thinning the damn herd because that's what he's known for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, you know, uh, I, he was never once. I, I never, you know, I felt pressure when I've hunted with Joe before for him to do something special, like we did the year before when Chav wasn't with us. You know, he, he felt like it was very special for him to be able to take a bull and, you know, in, in, in Chav's honor and stuff like that. But I never felt that kind of pressure from him this year, man. It was really more about watching his coaches go out and do what they do and then when we come back, we all share notes and what we're hearing, what we're seeing. And it was really more for him. It was so cool to watch him because he was like, man, these guys are getting it, you know, and, and, and having the ultimate coach in camp, even when he's hunting and when he's not, and he had some opportunities, you know, he just, they were just mishaps, you know, things went wrong. And I mean, we're all going to go through those things and how Joe handles that man. I've been with him on on hunts where we blow four or five opportunities, whether it's us being so aggressive that we roll up in there and blow it up or, you know, the elk getting a little bit of gust from the gods or something like that and, and rolling out on us. But, you know, when you hunt with Joe, you're going to get four or five opportunities, you know, sometimes a day because he's going to blow in there and blow up on them, you know, and uh, I think Joe's learned a tremendous amount to hunting with me because I'm real patient. And I'm slow and methodical. Uh, but when we get in that situation, I know how to close. Right. And uh, and you get me within 80 yards of an elk, he's in serious trouble. And and Joe knows that. So he knows if he can get me to an area where I can hear him and talk to him, that we we're going to be we we're going to be pretty successful. But, man, I had two guys with me. I had him and then Brendan got hurt. Brendan, you know, tore his ankle up on the first daggum morning uh, or actually setting camp up. So, I mean, I mean, actually fractured his ankle, you know, so the cat's actually, you know, trying to get his ankle lined up. So, I mean, uh, it was it was tough because we had him would go set him out somewhere near a wallow or some water hole and and hopefully his ankle's going to heal up. And then I got RC and I'm calling for both those guys, you know? Um, so Brendan's, Brendan's new to calling and you know how that goes, man. If you can make an elk sound, that's a great deal. You know what I mean? So uh, he, and he actually had some success as well, sitting over a, a, a water hole. But what we figured out real quick was water was going to be a big deal for us. You know, as hot as it, it was, was warm, man. Yeah, as hot as it was early and as much pressure as there was down below, those bulls, if you found water up high, those bulls were there, you know, and they were there every day. See, know? and that was so, the opposite for me. I mean, everything <laughs> that I saw, right, was with it was 7,500 to 8,000, right? And I was talking to guys and we're like, man, I'm not seeing elk at, you know, everybody's like, oh, 11,000, 11,000 kicked my butt. In six for us, yeah. Yeah, and, and I ended up having to go down because of that, that – uh, altitude sickness and then went back yeah. up and when i went back up i was like you know a day i'm an elk but it wasn't the elk and i ended yes. up going back down i mean we're in you know i left call it 40 to 50 animals to go you know prospect an area um because i thought it's going to be cooler i got up top and yeah. it was still 78 degrees man yeah and it was uh it was just a hot freaking september 
Oh, no. I, I've never seen anything like it. it would be cool in the morning, but man, it'd get smoking, smoking hot during hot. the after, during the day. So I knew that they were going to be around water, you know, needed to be for sure. Elk drink a tremendous amount of water. And uh, so when we found those wallers up on the top ridges, they were just loaded, you know, and, and it wasn't like they were loaded every time you went up there, but certain times of the day, those elk were going to be in there, you know, and the cows were. So we knew if we could find the cows, which it's not like we'd find big herds. We find two or three cows at the most. I think the most cows RC and I saw were three in one group. And uh, it was like I said, man, it was super tough. Uh, you know, in our background, uh, you know, guy coming from New Mexico, you know, we see a lot of elk, <laughs> you know, and and the, the amount of elk and we hear them, you know, they're vocal. Uh, I don't know if these elk are just so pressured that they shut up and they don't speak very much because they feel like that's giving themselves away. Uh, but where we hunt in New Mexico, man, the, the elk, are, they blow you out all night. You know, you can hear them bugling all night. So, you know, exactly where to go set up. They, not saying they're any easier to hunt because the, the, the country's super tough, but, um, it was just different, you know, and, and our, my background hunting, hunting elk started, you know, on a private ranch in New Mexico and hunting with the hunting with Carl Gamage, you know, with uh, CS with custom hunting services. And, you know, Carl, I was 340 pounds, man, uh, you know, coming to elk camp at, at age 40. I'm 51 right now. I'll be 52 in September. And. You know, coming to help camp at 340 pounds at 11,000 feet ain't no bueno, you know, uh, especially if you want to do it with archery. So one of the things that Joe challenged me real quick was, son, uh, you know, your quality of life is going to suck if you don't change your life. You know, and I've battled with my weight the all the time. And look. I will gain 20 pounds between elk season and, and the January because, 1st. <laughs> yeah, man, because my wife loves to cook and I love to eat, you know? Um, so, but man, from January to September, I'm working like heck to get back to fighting shape, you right. know? That's a and, rough and cycle. And I told though. myself, do what? That's yeah. That's a rough cycle. Yeah. It is. And, and for me, it needs to be. I need to stay in shape the rest of the rest of the year. So that's the new goal is to stay in shape. I like coming, you know, usually I'm in elk camp about 270, 265, 270 pounds. And, uh, you know, I'd like to come in this year about 240. So, uh, if I can, man, better look out guy. Uh, I'll be agile and hostile. So, um, no, you know, so working, coming, coming out there out of shape, the whole nine yards, I still had a shot opportunity with, with, uh, with, uh, Joe and with RC Knox, RC called a bull in for me, a three forty seven that bull scored and, uh, I knocked him down, but man, I didn't make a real good shot on him. I got one lung and uh part of the liver and, and they didn't find him for like four weeks. Oh, damn. But they found him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we tracked that bull for two days, man. And Carl had a rule on his ranch. You draw blood, that's your bull. And he said, look, we can still hunt, but we're going to hunt that bull and we're going to try to find him, you know? So, I mean, that's what we did, you know, and I could have killed two other bulls in between that, you know, that were slam dunk. You know, but I passed after that guy, I passed on, I guess, four years in a row. I passed 
shots at spikes and raghorns and i want to kill six by six mm-hmm. you know and uh this bull right here above me right here is is my first bull i ever killed laid my hands on uh and joe joe called that bull in for me i, I got down to about 265 pounds and joe said man that's you in let's let's rock and roll so i've been hunting with joe you know probably about well, i've been hunting with him for 12 seasons but probably as joe is my god at least seven, eight years now. Right. And he's been tra- helping me call in the whole time and, and then just training me, you know? So, uh, man, hunting with him's un- unbelievable. So we hunted, we hunted that private ranch until Carl passed away. And then, uh, we started hunting public land that was close to it. Uh, and we started hunting, uh, that public land and man, it was, everything backed up to where that, that private was and, and stuff like that. So man, Joe and I had such, such a good time. We didn't want to stop, man. You know, we were real close, uh, close friends. And then we, you know, I, I brought Luis and Manano in about six years ago, five years ago. And Joe's like, man, we got to keep this thing going, you know? So, I mean, we were, we were talking to each other a couple times a year guy, you know, and then mostly just hunting together, drawing out and stuff like that. Um, and we were so lucky just about drawing every year. The first year Manano came with us, Manano didn't draw. As a matter of fact, I didn't draw, Luis didn't draw, and Manano didn't draw. We drew deer tags, but we didn't draw uh, elk tags. So we told Joe, we're coming to elk camp anyhow. Well, man, Joe was like, them boys are sold out, right? And uh, so we did that. And they ended up killing a bear. We had a bear tag and we had mule deer tags and we killed mule deer. And I had a turkey tag and I killed my first uh, Eastern, you know. Um, So it was uh, it was crazy cool, you know, or my first Miriam. And uh, it was crazy cool. You know, we had a blast. And so Joe's like, you know what, Gilbert? how do we, how do we get to help camp every day? You know, how can we do that? So I said, I don't know. He goes, how about we, we do a podcast. He goes, would you like to do a podcast? I said, bro, they pay me to talk. (laughs) I'm a salesman, you know, that's what I do for a living. So I talk leg off a wooden Indian, you know, for sure. So, you know, that's kind of how elk bros got started. He said, well, he said, "Uh, I'm going to set it up. You know, we'll have some content and, you know, we kind of evolved from there, man, but we, we kind of wanted to bring everybody in our elk camp you know, as we, as we go through this. And then on the backside, Joe and Chad were building the elk, the Academy, right. The the base camp, which man, guys, if y'all, I'm not trying to shamelessly plug it or anything, but if you guys love to elk hunt and you're new to elk hunting, you go to that base camp and check it out. I promise you, you're going to get some, you get a hundred years of, of content of elk hunting knowledge in that base camp that will help you guys, man. And, um, so, you know, he, he was doing that on the backside. Then when he launched it, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, and here we are today, you know, we, we've met some unbelievable people like the man behind the mic, <laughs> the Mr. Guy Duplanchet. I mean, look, we, we met some of the coolest dudes, you know, and that have, we come from such socioeconomic back, different socioeconomic backgrounds, whether it be religious or political, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But the, the bonding factor, man, is we love the outdoors and we love to elk hunt. Right. And, uh, and man, I got love for all guys like that. I don't give a dang what the other BS mm-hmm. is about. Right. Um, at the end of the day, we want to prop 
promote our not just elk bros, but the whole whole thing All about elk, hunting hunting elk and deer. And I mean, you see, I've been watching you and your lady deer hunting and your boy. I mean, dude, it's fantastic to watch all those things transpire. Me and my son, I mean, we're chasing whitetails every weekend and and hogs down here. But that's how elk bros got started. You know, um, it really just a, a bunch of guys that love to elk hunt together. And uh, we decided, well, heck, man, we'll just try to have elk camp at least once a month, you know, and then it got to be once a week. And, uh, you know, we've kind of backed off a little bit since season's been been started and we're doing every other week now. Uh, but, I, man, I absolutely love it. I, I love to talk about hunting. I love to talk about issues that are, you know, that we're faced, you know, every day in America here man, with keeping our rights, you know, keeping our right to hunt, keeping our Second Amendment right, keeping our First Amendment right, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so, I mean, just to be able to have this platform, to be able to talk with with Guy Duplanchet on the Western Contours podcast, that's part of our First Amendment, man. You know, to be able to have freedom of speech and press and everything else, man. And thank God for all these guys out there that are standing up for our, you know, our First Amendment and our Second Amendment auditors, man, that are out there doing the dirty work every day to try and keep keep everything keep that we got out yep. front, man. You know, so um it's uh it's been so fun, guy, to to meet the community, the hunting community. Uh it's been so fun. I mean, dude, I got to to talk to Michael Waddell. I mean, bro, you know, <laughs> why he's like one of my heroes, you know? I mean, Get a little starstruck out- still. Yeah, yeah, man, dude, st- straight fangirl, right? straight <laughs> fangirl. I, I mean, he was in elk camp with Joe, and Joe goes, man, I got a guy here that wants to say hi to you. And, man, I like to, you know, I had a fit. I said, do you know who that is, Joe? He goes, no, nah, not really. <laughs> Joe ain't starstruck by nobody, you know. Uh, so I, it was so cool to just, you know, be embraced by the community. And most everybody, man, I think, you know, looking out for us and, and uh, have given us great feedback and stuff like that. And we love what you guys are doing, guy. You know, uh, we we talk quite a bit offline and stuff like that about you know the spoils of what we're doing here. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh it's been fantastic to watch the evolution of your show as well. Oh, I appreciate that, brother. So you brought up a couple things there, and I wanna I wanna touch on sure. It. So sure. And and one of the things, right? And we kind of talked about it before we hit record, right? Is is there's a stigma, I, I guess I'll say with, with going on a guided hunt of any nature, right? There, yeah. it's, you're yeah. not doing it yourself, right? The DIY thing. And, and yes, it, I'm not going to say one is better than the other at all. Right. There's, I think there's, there's plus and minuses to either side of that. Um, sure. But one of the interesting aspects of going on a guided hunt, especially when you get a guy that is more concerned with your experience and what you walk away with than the guy that's just like, okay, notch the tag, next guy, right? Yeah. And yeah. I wanted you to kind of speak on that and not, you know, not to, we don't want to continue to blow Joe up. This is a, this is a, a big yeah. episode. Um, right. But as a guy that's thinking about it with the stigma that comes along with it, right? A guy could be three, four years in and he hasn't had success yet in, in yeah. terms of notching a tag or is having a hard time with the learning curve. A guided sure. hunt, if you can afford it, is not a bad option for a it's guy not. to go out and learn something. So can you give us a little bit on that and just talk about, the, you know, how you see it in terms of the pros and cons and how that helps you in your journey? 
Yeah, you know, for for me, uh, I've always wanted to hunt out west. You know, the allure of the mountains and, you know, camping out and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I told my wife when I was 40 years old, guy, I said, man, I want to go elk hunting with my bow. I've killed just about everything else from Neil Guy to you name it with my bow, right? But I hadn't killed a Rocky Mountain elk. And I said, man, that's kind of the pinnacle for me is to, you know, go elk hunting. Well, I happen to have a taxidermist here named uh, Terry Barty, Barty Taxidermy. And I'd heard him talk several times about elk hunting in New Mexico. So I reached out to Terry. I said, Terry, would you have an outfitter that you would recommend to me? I want to buy a hunt. I want to go elk hunting. He goes, oh, man, there ain't but one guy that you need to call, right? So I I took his advice, you know. So I think if you're using a taxidermist that's doing a, a lot of those taxidermists know some really good outfitters, right? So I used his advice and man, I called Carl Gamage with custom hunting services on the phone. And it was, it was the most candid conversation I've ever had with an outfitter, man. I mean, it's like the guy didn't want me to come hunting, you know, almost. And he pre-qualified what my expectations were, right? Which I thought was fantastic because he told me exactly how it was going to be from get go. I mean, he was like, you know, when I called him and said, I, I want to, I want to come elk hunt, bow hunt with my, uh, I want to come elk, uh, elk hunting with my bow. He goes, hell you say, he said, <laughs> that ain't easy boy. You know, he goes, I got guys up here been hunting five years. Ain't even smelt the elk. Ain't even seen one because they don't know what they're doing. He goes, listen, man. He said, bring your rifle up here. Well, I can get you within 500 yards of one for sure. You know, he tried to talk me out of the bow hunt, you know, and I'm I'm like, no, man, do you not have guides that can call elk? I want to call, have a bull call. He goes, what are you talking about? Yeah, I got guys that can call <laughs> elk, you know. I mean, he's like, well, you want to come? He said, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, he told me from, you know, how I needed to be prepared for the altitude. Because he was from Texas. Carl was from right outside of Sugarland, Texas, grew up there. And, you know, I mean, so he knew when he went to where he was there in, in New Mexico is 80, 8,500 feet. And he knew that it was going to be tough on me. He said, just go to Walmart and get you a Walmart sack and put it over your head and tie a knot in it, poke a hole in it and go run around the block three times. That'll be what it's like, you know, he wasn't lying, you know? And uh, then he told me, he said, man, you know, going to cost X amount of dollars. He goes, now, listen, you ain't paying for an animal. You're paying for a hunt, you know, and that's what I want guys to understand is when you go on a, on a guided hunt, you're paying for the opportunity to be there and you're not paying for the animal. The animals, the coup de gras, mm-hmm. right. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of guys that shoot at animals that may not retrieve one, but the, the experience was the whole thing. Right. So let me, let's say if it cost $8,000, which it didn't, but let's say if it costs $8,000 to go, go elk hunting, the $8,000 wasn't for the animal. It was for the experience and it was for the time those guides put in and those, the outfitters put in to learn that area and take that learning curve away from you. Okay. I tell guys all the time, tell people all the time, I give softball lessons, pitching, uh, hitting, uh, fielding. 
And they come in and they ask me, how much do you charge for an hour? I said, well, I don't do, first of all, I don't do an hour lesson. I do 30 minute lessons in 30 minute increments because an hour of me working you out, you're going to die, you know, and it's just not going to work out very good. But in 30 minutes, I can get done what I need. And they're like, well, how much is it? And I said, it was 50 bucks for 30 minutes. They're like, oh my God. The hell you say? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The hell you say? You know, no, they're. $50 for 30 minutes. I said, look, look, you're not paying me for the 30 minutes. You paid me for the 30 years that I've put in to teach your daughter in 30 minutes, which you couldn't teach her in 30 years. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you're paying for. And it's the same thing when you're on elk hunt, right? Now, look, I'm not saying there ain't guys out there that don't, that do bad job and take you on a nature hike for $10,000. That's out there. But you guys got to do your homework when you go find an outfitter. At least make some phone calls, see how guys, you know, do some checking up on them and things like that. So, you know, once you get there and you've, they've managed your expectations and they've, that what you really paying for is the opportunity to get an opportunity to draw back and let your arrow fly, right? Whether it's one time or three times, you're paying for that opportunity. And if they've done their due diligence, most of your outfitters are going to get you in front of an elk and, and have that happen for you. So what did they do for you, guy? They took away that, number one, most guys, when they go to New Mexico or Colorado or Wyoming and they're hunting, and it's their first time, man, they don't know how to call. You know, they've ne- they don't sure don't know what the elk language is, right? And finding that big country and everything, it's like starting looking at a needle in a haystack, yes, right? So all of that is cut down into – a small portion because the guide and the outfitter has that burden on them is to put you where you need to be. What you got to do is show up in shape. Okay. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, fellas round is a shape, but if <laughs> show up in shape uh, and girls round is a shape, but show up in shape, ready to go and listen to your guide and don't take any shots that you're not comfortable with. Just don't. Be comfortable when you're going to release that arrow because there's going to be a lot of guides. There's go, go ahead. Go ahead. Honest go. about your capability going into For sure. season, right? Don't For sure. you can't For shoot sure. 80 yards last year. And then mm-hmm. you only practice out to 40 or 50 this year yeah. for whatever reason, yeah. your shot is a little shorter. You got to be honest about that in front of that animal. Yeah. Sorry. I had to qualify you, it. No, man, for sure. That's the big thing is you need to, you need to have an effective killing range and you need to know what that is and don't go past it. it. You, you will have, you, you'll want to try to do that. And I'm promise you, you're going to have some horrible letdowns when that happens. Stay within your comfort zone. Don't let a guide or an outfitter even get you out of that either. If you've been, if you feel comfortable at 50 yards in, that make that be your hard line. I got to get within 50 and I'm good at 50. But d- don't be taking a shot because that guy said means broadside at 75 and you've never shot there, man, stay within your comfort zone. That's a- super important for you guys to understand that shooting paper and shooting at a still, you know, 3d target is way different than shooting at a live animal. You know, there's so many things that go into that wind altitude up, down is the animal high alert. Is he not, you know, there's so many things and he angles, that the animal's really standing at that distance. Um, so many things that go into that. So 
set yourself a hard line of where you're going to draw the line in the sand. This is my effective killing range. Right. And then be truthful with your guide and you're in the outfitter. And consider that that 65 yard shot at a 50 yard effective kill range, that's an $8,000 chance you're taking. Right. Yeah. If that's the cost of that hunt, that, that legit can be your, your money gone. Typically with guides is you hit that animal. That's your animal. Right. You draw blood. Yeah. yeah, You draw. So another, that's another thing on a private ranch. 90% of the time, if you draw blood, you're done. Whereas on a DIY public land, you probably rock and roll, you know, go, ain't nobody making you tag that rascal. I mean, you, you could keep on going, you know? So again, a difference, right. But what, what the guided hunt does, if you guys can afford it, is it, it takes that, so much of that learning curve out and it allows you to be inserted into a position of where now we're going to have some opportunity. But what I don't want to miss, right. Is, is by taking that learning curve out. If you are there with the right frame of mind, right. And you know that, okay, you're paying for a hunt is what you said. Right. And it's an $8,000 shot. Sure. I ain't spending the money on an $8,000 shot. I'm spending money on an $8,000 hunt. I want something I can exactly right, and that's why I want to get to that. Yeah, because you are going to, and yes, it's condensed. What what is that hunt? Five to seven days, somewhere in that realm. Yes, seven days. Yeah, but that's Mm -hmm. seven days of you know, depending on the guy, twenty, thirty. 40 yeah. years of experience. Oh my gosh. Yes. And and some of those guys will, you know, go because you're asking so many questions, but they're not going to not give you the information. Right. Yeah. That's not, information. Yeah. That- and, and that was never the case in Carl's camp, man. Those guys were going to feed you as much information as they could. They were all there to help you be successful. You know, I met the great Joe Gillia there. I met the legend RC Knox. Uh, there was another guy uh, who has, many different uh kills under his belt with kent miller uh i mean there's so many different uh personalities and and guys that we met there but man i mean the very best uh at at teaching you what went on right and and a guy that's just stepped off the, you know, the banana boat, if you want to say, from down here in the flatlands of Texas into the big country of New Mexico or Colorado, man, you are a duck out of water. And and you really got to rely on those guys. And for me, that's what I wanted to do. I want it wasn't necessarily about killing a elk. It was about killing the elk. And I went four years after losing that arrow my first time. I went four years after and paid my money every year. And like I said, the $8,000 is a round figure. I'm not saying that's what it cost because it didn't. But at the it end was of the more. day, <laughs> yeah, no, no, probably with everything invested, no <laughs> doubt. But uh, new bow, new da 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 da, right? So, the cool thing with, for me is I made such close friends in that first trip, right? And I met a guy who, man, that I just had a kinship with after the first hunt, which was Carl Gamage and Joe. But Carl Gamage, he, I, I, I was at, at the point in my career where I was taking a lot of my clients hunting. And I was like, man, what a place to come and build a relationship with your client, right? So 
I would bring 12 clients every year muzzleloader hunting there as well. Uh, and I did that for about six years, right? And so Carl and I got to be close friends because we were business associates and, you know, I hunted with him. I came on the first season bow hunt and then I came on the two muzzleloader hunts that he had. And I mean, we packed the place out. I book all the bow hunts, you know, cause my guy, my, my guys would come with me bow hunting and then I would bring my clients on the, on the, on the uh, two muzzleloader hunts. So I got a huge education real quick because of the, participation that I got to, to be in on. Right. And, uh, so, so Carl was really good about, you know, letting me learn the whole time. And I told him, I said, man, look, I, what I didn't know was what we were doing on the backside, what our money was going for. Right. Carl Gamage was giving half of his earnings from, from, uh, from outfitting, he was giving half of that to a cause to help Joe. Joe was guiding for free and Carl, people don't know this. Carl was given half of our money that we were paying in fees, outfitter fees or, or hunting fees. He was given to Joe to help fund a track team in Cimarron, New Mexico. And these are, these kids were without, you name it, uh, guy, these kids were under, underprivileged kids from inner city that, I mean, didn't have nothing, right? Absolutely. Couldn't even pay for a pair of, uh, track cleats, you know what I mean? Track shoes, you know, they needed new pole vaults, you know, new poles. They needed new, whatever they needed. Carl Gamage was the guy that was going to get it for them. So when I found out what it was going to do, that drove me even harder. And I talked to my wife, I said, listen, I done found something that I, you know, that I'm telling you right now, I ain't found many things I like more than this elk kind of stuff. And not to mention, I know that it's helping a, a community of people. And Joe would never want anybody, you know, to, you know, to, to think that, you know, he was on the take or anything like that. So it was, it was something that he worked out with, with Carl and they would put it in an account where Joe could go get it as he needed it. Cause if he gave it to the school, the school would appropriate it to all different, you know, Mm -hmm. they would not, the track team would get a fraction of, you know what I mean? So look, I, I absolutely wanted to be part of that, uh, to, to know that anything that I was, paying or bringing in was going to help this track team. So, man, that was a a big deal in the catalyst of me staying with that. Right. So not only was I getting to hunt, but I was getting to learn from some of the most incredible elk guides that were out there. Uh, So my, my IQ elk hunting grew quickly. You know, and I was that guy that's going to ask all those questions. I pro- imagine they were probably like, "Man, this cat just paid his paid your money, shot off." You know, go have another cold drink. Uh, but look, at, at the end of the day, they allowed me to get right in there in the middle of it, and I actually got to roll out with a lot of my clients and do the calling and and stuff like that. You know, never a paid guide or anything, but you know, I got really good at it and uh, and absolutely loved it. So. When Carl passed away, um, it was, and it just, it broke our hearts, you know? And, uh, you know, Joe's like, we ain't got to stop. You know, we we don't have to stop any of this. Now, the 
you know, how the cost and everything is going to change and we can't hunt private land, but man, I've been hunting all around it. Mm. You know, my whole life, 30 (laughs) some odd years, I've been hunting around it. You know, he goes, we we ain't got to stop this. So I was like, bro, I'm in, you know, as long as I can be with you and, and have that education every day. And, you know, look, man, like I said, he threw the gauntlet down. He goes, listen, the only way that's happening, though, is you get a hold to yourself and you don't bring me a bunch of guys here that are a bunch of buttholes because I don't do buttholes. Right. So, I mean, and that's how that's how it all started. Guy. And, you know, it started with guys that were doing things for all the right reasons. And most people didn't know that about Carl. Most, most people thought Carl was, you know, just an outfitter and this, that, and that. But Carl, man, look, Carl was a gunny sergeant, you know, in the army and pushed, pushed troops in Vietnam. I mean, this dude was hard, Jack. When I'm talking hard, I'm talking straight up, hard time and to the curb. You hear me? I mean, the cat was, he was, uh, he was hard to deal with at times, but he had this real hard shell, but he had a real soft middle. And uh, when you dove Crack into that, that and, and, and got to learn the man, man, you really understood what Carl Gamage was all about. And it was about education. He loved his track team. Both of his kids that came through that program that changed their lives. Right. He watched their lives change. He watched Joe Gillia change those kids lives, brother. So, he wanted to be part of that. And he knew the only way that he could do it was silently. He never took any, any credit for any of that. Nobody to this day, they might know it now because it's on the Western contours podcast. <laughs> but at the end of the day, nobody knew that about Carl. Awesome, man. I, yeah. Well, let's make a, a real quick correction. I guarantee you, Joe is going to correct you as track spikes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Track spikes. Yeah. So, okay. Sure. So there, again, there was a couple things there. Um, sure. I don't know which way I want to go first. All right. We'll keep this one brief. Hunting sure. partners, right? Cause that, yeah. that's in my opinion, when it comes to elk, that is one of the most difficult things. Cause you can hunt deer with a guy and yeah. that's your, that's your mule deer or white tail killing buddy. You can go hunt pigs yeah. with a guy, right? And you yeah. guys can sit on that ridge and slaughter pigs. But finding an elk hunting partner, there is a very finite. <laughs> oh yeah, man! Right? I mean, you're you're dealing with personalities can't they they really can't come in the mix, and you have to be on the same page all the time, yeah. right? And and it all this, this whole thing's kind of coming full circle. As I hear the story with you is man, you've had, you've been graced by God in terms of your elk hunting career. Right. And I'm not for sure. I don't want that to sound to anyone as it's belittling or it's Mm-mm. been any easier or anything like that. Um, Cause I know who you hunt with and I know what he does, but sure. w- what can you tell us about that? There there's nuances with elk hunting partners, man. And you, like I said, you could hunt with a guy and, and love deer hunting with him, but man, you yeah. get to the elk woods and it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You get your for, ass for us, it was about getting guys of the same ilk, you know, that were cut out of that same cloth mm-hmm. and man, the business that I work in, in the oil field guys are have of that same kinship. You know, we, we understand it. 
the oil field business is not a job. It's a lifestyle and it's how we live. You know, it, it really isn't. I mean, it's 24 seven. It never stops. They drill 24, seven, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it is not a job. It's even a under the current lifestyle. administration. Yeah. <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so far, so good. So, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, man, uh, you know, God bless all of them guy. Uh, <laughs> but I, for us, it was, uh, it was just about, um, it was just about finding the right fit for everybody. Right. So as I deer hunted with some of these cats and, uh, you know, and some of the guys came on muzzleloader hunts and stuff like that, I'd know, man, could these guys be in our elk camp? Right. And lo and behold, I met this cat named Luis Gonzalez and, uh, the leader of the Venezuelan mafia. That's right. I said it, Manana, the leader of the Venezuelan <laughs> mafia. Uh, anyway, the cat decided I was going to take him on it on a guided elk hunt. Right. We couldn't get him in on, on the deal with Joe and them, uh, because of, uh, the draw. Uh, so I found an elk hunt with a, a another outfitter, uh, Folsom outfitters up in New Mexico. And I went hunting with him and man, we had a blast. And he goes, look, Gilbert, you know, rifle hunting elk's great, but I want to do it with a bow. I said, okay. All right, man. I said, listen, here's the deal. This is how these guys, this guy that I hunt with runs everything. Right. And, you know, it was, it was incredible because I always hunted with Chav uh, and Joe would go hunt with one, with the two boys. Right. And it was fantastic. Cause listen, when the ninja Leroy Chavez speaks, it's like EF Hutton brother. I mean, everybody listens. I'm showing my age there too. But at the end of the day, man, when the ninja speaks, there's 30, you know, there's 40 years of elk hunting knowledge in that. And, uh, so I got to hunt with him for the last six, seven years, you know, and just having him on my shoulder was huge, you know, so, uh, Joe, we knew what Joe wanted as far as guys in elk camp. Right. And so Luis goes, dude, you gotta let, you know, we had the, the awesome, the crazy ass Canadian Steve Tucker with us, uh, who was a, a client and friend of mine for a long time. And, you know, look, Tucker's, you know, he's an iron man now because of his first elk hunt. Right. He literally, kicked his ass so bad that he decided I'm going to be an iron man. No, 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 nothing in the mountains is ever going to kick my ass that bad. He liked to die on that mountain with me and Joe. Right. <laughs> and, and look, the cat had so many chances at big bulls, right. Wounded a bull, you know, had three or four other opportunities, big bulls too. I'm talking 350 inch bulls. So, you know, Tucker's, always welcome back in our elk camp anytime Tucker wants to come. Right. And, and Luis brought my nano and look, there is, I'm going to tell you straight up and Luis may be the leader of the Venezuelan mafia, but Manano's the enforcer. Okay. And he is, he is, uh, that guy's a savage in the freaking woods, bro. Mm -hmm. and, and not to mention, he would never say no. If you needed anything, the shirt off your back, you had a four mile pack out that cat, and he's already packed his elk out. That cat's in, in he's straight up in and he's coming, whether he sleeps the whole way in your mule driving up there or whatever he's in. Right. And he's never going to tell you no. 
That's the kind of guys that we looked for, right? Guys that would ride the river with us. So it was almost pre-qualifying for me to tell guys, hey, man, this is how it's going to be. You know, one of my close friends, Trey Kistler, came with us with Kistler Fishing Rods. You know, you, you guys all know that I've you know been in the fishing industry for a long time, and Trey Kistler was my rod sponsor and still is today. Uh, love Trey Kistler with all my heart. And I don't know that I did a good enough job of relaying to Trey just how strenuous this elk hunt was going to be, and not just because of how we hunt, but how we hunt. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody knocks a bull down, we're all going. Right. Well, Trey's paying for this. And he's like, man, I, you know, I didn't know we all had to go help. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I'm paying Joe as my guy. I do. I need to go help other guys and stuff. Like that. And then Joe's like, look, man, that's the deal. You know, this is part. This is how this we is work. You know, but if that's you stay in our group. That's you know, This is how. Yeah, that's elk hunting. Right. It, so for us, it was about pre-qualifying everybody guy and understanding. Hey, are you good with that? Are you in? And look, sometimes you just got to hunt with a guy one time to see how they're going to look, you know, uh, And because we've had guys that come hunt with us. They ain't back. They ain't coming back because mm-hmm. they just they had a different idea of how things roll, you know, and this group that we've got together now, man. And what was so cool is this last year's hunt is we had a whole lot more personalities in elk camp. Right. But every one of them was cut from that cloth and it's because joe does a great job of pre-qualifying guys and and, and really letting them understand what's what's to be expected managing expectations is key when you're working with a partner right and uh man you know you cannot <laughs> you, it's hard to fit a square peg in a round hole man and you're gonna know within hours of sitting down talking to somebody where you think that y- y'all can job, but it's really important for y'all to have those conversations before you ever get to the it'll, elk. It'll make or break that, it'll make or break that hunt, man. And your friendship, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to affect it both ways, man. Look, I, I got some buddies in mind that I, you know, could deer hunt. Like you said, I could deer hunt every day with, right. But I ain't taking them in the elk woods with me. Okay. Uh, now I'm going to tell you this though, my elk hunting buddies, I fight hell with a water pistol with those guys. We can go hunt deer. We can go hunt bear, elk, moose. It don't matter. Those cats, those are the real deals, right? They're the ones. So if you can do it elk hunting, you go do it anything else. Because look, truthfully, the way I feel about elk hunting is the toughest, right? Everything else pales in comparison, uh, simply because of there's so many complexities involved in in managing an elk hunt, right, and, and not to not to mention the the infatuation, the love, even the lust of elk hunting for me, for you, <laughs> yeah. for Joe yeah. is far greater, right? And I'm making a hell of an assumption on your end is far greater than than anything else that we do in the woods. There's something 100%. about it that it brings out the best of you. It brings out the worst of you. And, and it's, it's, where am I going to level out and figure out, am I, am I down in that trough? Or am I up on that peak? Yeah. And where am I leveling through all this? There, mm-hmm. there's nothing like it, man. It will, it'll, I always say it, it'll ruin you. It'll absolutely yeah. ruin you. It'll ruin you. And it'll, uh, what it's done for me though, guy, is it's made me, Man, it's made me a better dad. Yes. It's made me a better yes, father. It's made me a better husband. It, because of the the discipline that you have to have to make it happen, 
Uh, look, man, I test myself. I, I'm a guy who has to be pushed. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy who has to be challenged, right? Uh, I, 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 I'm a guy who has to work hard. Things don't come to me easy. So I got to go put the work in, right? Uh, I have been um, unbelievably blessed with the gift of being able to talk and gab and those kinds of things, right? And I've been unbelievably blessed to be where I'm at today in our industry and in our business and the people that I run with. But I'm going to tell you right now, none of that came easy. It's been a long road. Had I have been smart, I'd have went and got my education and I'd have been 10 years ahead of all that. Right. But, you know, I was a hard nosed kid come out of the country down here in Texas. And, uh, you know, I was going to do it my way if it hair lipped the governor. And I mean, <laughs> that's the way it was going to be. So I'm a byproduct of exactly how stubborn I was going to be. So for me, is a you know, having this opportunity to learn from some of the best elk hunters in the world. One of the other things that we shared as all five of us, which you you'll come to understand that it's different is all five of us had issues with our fathers. Guy that when I talk about that, I talk about that with all due respect to every father that's out there. We love our dads. Okay. But we also know that they're, were many different hurdles within our, our group with our fathers. What was so divine about our, our situation together with all five of our guys, right? Whether Manano, myself, Luis, Joe, and Chad, and even RC, we all had issue with our dads. So when we met up on the mountain, those things came out and it was, it was spiritual, man unbelievably spiritual to be able to express those feelings that I've only expressed to my wife, brother. My kids don't know. Most of my close friends have never heard me say those things, but to be able to, to discuss those issues that are so personal, uh, intimate with yourself in a group of men like that and be vulnerable. Okay. Now, now listen, I will tell you there was a little bit of libation in, involved in some of that, right? So it was a little bit of whiskey and ice, but you know, that's always the best truth serum. Uh, at the end of the day, man, we we helped one another heal, you know, in a lot of these Elcons. And still to this day, we talk about them all the time, right? So uh I, I came from a broken home guy, you know, and I, I'm not saying I had a bad childhood because I did. My mama did everything she could to try to put my ass on the straight and narrow. I just decided I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> you know, uh, I, at the end of the day, I could have made things a lot easier on myself. But, uh, you know, like a lot of us, we got to learn from the hard. school of hard knocks, you know. So but these cats, man, when I met them, they changed my life, brother. Right. They they made me see things differently. You know, they made me they made me read a book. OK. And this book changed my life forever, guy. And uh, if, if we're talking to one of your listeners or we're talking to anybody, uh, I've said this a couple of times. And, and 
I, I think I did it on, you on know, reflection. in your reflections. Yeah. yeah. This book was the shack, you know, and it helped me deal with forgiveness. There, everybody that reads it's going to get something different out of it. Right. But if you harbor ill will and unforgiveness in your heart, it will eat you alive, uh, guy. And I, I, you know, I don't care if you got a spiritual bone in your body or not. I promise you there is a higher power out there. And if you harbor ill will and, and discontent and anger towards other people, it will hurt you. It won't hurt anybody else, right. but it will hurt you. Right. So it helped me with forgiveness. Man, I had to do a lot of forgiving of my own self because I hurt a lot of people and I had to do a lot of forgiving of people that hurt me. And that was hard to do. Mm. Call them on the phone, say, look, I forgive you. We'd like to mend fences, right? Um, it all stemmed from my elk, elk hunting yeah. partners, brother. Okay. So when we, when I take it back full circle, it all stemmed from my elk hunting partners. Okay. So we're not just picking partners to ride the river with where we're going to go pack out a bull, man. These guys become intimate parts of your family. Right. Like I said, man, I got guys I hunt with every day uh, that are, that are good friends of mine, no doubt, but they're not elk hunting with me every day. Cause listen, do what we do is super hard. And I'm sure they look at me and go, how does he get that done? You know, because they don't know how much I push myself. Right. They don't know the resilience that I have. You've been there on the mountain by yourself all alone and you can either quit or you can freaking man up and sack up, lace your boots, boots up and get Yo, to getting with the program. The, right? worst, the worst thing you can do is not lace up and get to getting right because that you're going to you're going to have to wait till the next September for any sort of redemption and you're still going to be haunted by turning around heading back to the truck that's why I was so proud of you when we talked last time about, you know, your hunt on our podcast. I was so proud of you. You never freaking gave up. You were in it to win it the whole time. And guy, I can't tell you, you know, right now you might feel defeated in some sort of way, no. but dude, the next time you're going to just crush it. Cause you've already been that tough road, you know? And I, I, we were so proud of you, man. Cause I know how, what it feels like to go without, right. And to go, Knowing, uh, you know what, what a coulda, coulda, shoulda. That's man, a long that shit, ass drive. <laughs> it, it definitely is. And you got all kinds of time to have that shit get in your mind, right? But I can tell you this: like an old elk outfitter used to tell me, "You better get that shit out of your head right now, boy," because listen, man, we're gonna live to fight another day, mm -hmm. and you learn so much in that process, man. And I think that's huge, though, when you talk any hunting, but but especially yeah. with elk hunting. And, and I'm just saying it not to belittle anything else, especially mm -hmm. with public land. Ooh. Do it yourself, elk <laughs> hunting, right? Yes. They, yes. You have to be okay when you go into that with with yeah. not notching that tag, right? Because your yes. your your success is is less than eight percent. They show ten percent, right? But that ten percent's across the board. Then you got those guys <laughs> that are doing it left and right every freaking year that are batting like Joe, right? Yeah, so you're yeah. you're sitting at this low percentage. The best thing you could do is go into it saying, I'm gonna be successful, but I'm okay with walking away with empty handed, especially if yeah. you have some takeaways. And and in my head, the one the one important thing that it does, if it does nothing else, is mm -hmm. it does not let you lose control of your hunt. 
Because if you get to the point where you're not thinking and you're frustrated and you're beating yourself up, you've already lost, right? You're not going to, once you get there, once you forget, once you stop thinking, once you stop listening and you may not hear the inaudible sounds, right? Or you may pick up, Oh, I heard that. And you just go crazy. You got to be okay with just, you know, look, my plan is to punch. I'm going in here confident, but I'm okay walking out empty handed. It's as simple as that. That absolutely. And God watched guys let one little mishap spin them out mm-hmm. so bad that their hunts done. done. It's they done. are done, man. I've, I've seen, I've seen a miss or have a wound or what, and it just absolutely takes the air out of their sail and they can't get past it every day. It's all you hear about, man. I can't believe this. I can't, man, bro. I, you know, I'm going to tell you like my late uncle Skeeter, uh, that taught me how to bass fish. If you lose one fish, you better be chunking and winding to catch another one. Cause mm-hmm. that one's gone. Quit worrying about what happened. Go to the next one, son. I mean, all of that is never going to help you. Now let's analyze after you're done, let's analyze what happened That's so it. we don't make those mistakes again, right? Yep. But sometimes it's just bad luck, right? Sometimes it's just not going to work out, right? And we got to learn how to put ourselves in better positions so it does work out. And, you know, again, getting back to what we were talking about, guys to ride the river with and your elk hunting partners, those are the guys that are going to be truthful with you, guy. They're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you some really tough shit, mm-hmm. and they're going to hurt your feelings a little bit, and you might go to bed a little bit aggravated, but the next day you're going to get up and you're going to thank those guys because they were hard on you, oh, yeah. right? I'm going to tell you right now, I hunt with a group of guys that ain't, man, you better not wear your feelings on your sleeve around <laughs> these cats because they are not going to let you walk around with your bottom lip poked yes, out, yeah. man. They just – we don't do bad moods and we don't do boo, you know, guys that are up there just woe is me. And, you know, uh, man, I'm horrible. I got bad luck. This, that, no. man, you just not going to be part of our camp. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be positive and you got to understand your role. And, and uh, not again, to say you're man, not going to get frustrated, right? You're going to, yeah, you're going to get you're frustrated, gonna. right? But, but yeah. you have to keep it in perspective. And, and I did it you this do. year, you know, where, where, yeah. you know, it was just, I mean, they were going off, man, and, and calling yeah. animals and they're all over the place. And all of a sudden it's dormant. I can't get nothing to talk. About. And I was getting frustrated, you know, it's just yeah. like I'm working my ass off for a week here. You know, mm-hmm. what happened? I had all these animals and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to say it take me, probably took me a good day and a half to kind of reel myself back in, you know, mm-hmm. where it was like, you know, I'd, I'd hit the, I'd hit the tube or I'd hit a cow call or something. And I'm like, Ooh, what was that? And I'm like, you know yeah. what? That's because you're not focused. You're not paying attention. Right. You're sitting here pissed off, you know, and you, and you get in that tailspin. And, and mm-hmm. for a guy that only has five days, seven days, 10 yeah. days, I'm, shit, I had 30 days. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. I, I could spare a day or two to be a, to be a whiny little biatch. <laughs> yeah. no, I, you know what I, I mean? And, 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 and I, you know, going back to kind of our first thing is, you know, DIY versus a uh, paid hunt. You know, a lot of guys don't have fit 10, 15 days, you know, they, they got five to seven that they can spend. And, you know, I, I, the most important thing is you do your homework on the outfitter that you're going to use. And then, you're going to do some do-it-yourself stuff, man, and you're going to go by yourself. You got to do your homework, ready. you know, 
You got to be ready because look, I mean, and, and you got to adopt that attitude, just like guy said. And, you know, a lot of our guys that write into the podcast and they tell us, look, we went with the idea of us going to be successful, but we also went with the idea of us knowing what the real deal was. Right. And it, it, the success was going to be having a great hunt in the mountains and having some opportunity. And I think if guys will, will not view their success by, whether they take it home elk meat or not, but by the opportunities that they garner, did you, did you call a bull in? Did you get an opportunity to shoot at him? You know, if you got those two things, man, it was an unbelievable hunt, right? Because whether you connected or whether you wounded a bull, whatever it may be, you got to take away some great things from that. Cause listen, I'm going to tell you straight up elk for me, elk hunting is the hardest hunt I do. I'm not moose moose hunted. And I'm telling you, I killed a nil guy with my bull and they're very hard to hunt, but I don't think they're near as hard as an elk hunt. Right. Because here in Texas, man, we ambush them rascals at water holes. Right. And you could do that with elk too, but it's a whole lot harder with those elk with all the eyes around them and and stuff and stuff to do that. Right. There are a lot of guys I hear stand hunt, get up in the deer, you know, ladder stand, sit over water and shoot a bull. That ain't me. Okay, I'm going to get on my feet and go call that rascal. That's Mm -hmm. what I like to do. Right. And I'm going to go slow because that's what my speed is four wheel drive. (laughs) And I'm going to go slow and I'm going to be methodical and I'm going to be in the woods till I'm done. Right. And and, uh, you know, I I want to figure out first when I get there, I want to figure out how to get to the ridges, how to get to the water, you know, and, and then try to figure out where the, where their travel corridors are. So do it yourself for me is about starting fast guy. You know, we did that this year. So it's about having a quick, fast start, uh, and, and then closing the deal. Cause you're only going to get a limited amount of opportunities. You know, I can, I can remember this on my paid hunts where I would go as a, as a guided hunt, I would probably have three to five opportunities to shoot bulls. That's okay. A, every one of a lifetime one of, those of trips. opportunities. Yeah. yeah. And I passed for four years in a row. RC Knox wanted to choke me out. I promise you, you know, I, I'd get a five by five. No pass. I draw <laughs> and they'd hold their breath and I'd let it down. Oh, that ain't it. You know, they're like, what are you doing? You've got to leash an arrow here. If you kill one, it's going to get easier. I said, yeah, but it ain't the right one. Right. You know, and that's so the I way knew I what am. I wanted. Yeah. And, and you know, what's cool. I paid the bill. Right. So I got it the way I, it was like McDonald's. I got it the way I wanted it, mm-hmm. you know? So at the, at the end of the day, it didn't matter. Wasn't about me killing an elk. It was killing the, the elk, elk and the, yes, and the scenario calling him in this, that, and the other man, I had, you know, I had four or five times spikes would come in on us. You know, they're dumb as a bag of hammers. They come running in there and man, they just run up on you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're standing at 10 yards. Well, no, nah, that wasn't it for me, you know? And look, I'm not bagging on a spike because I've killed a couple of them in my day, right? Uh, they got they got in the way. And when they got <laughs> in the way and I had a tag, they were going to get it. Uh, I, I'm a changed elk hunter these days, man. I'm an equal opportunity. The first legal bull that gets in my way is going to get it. <laughs> I, and now, 
if I know there's a herd bull there and a bigger one, well, yeah, I'm going to try to make a play on it, but don't get in my way. If you get in front of that herd bull, you're getting it. <laughs> but that's, that's my ode to elk hunting, right? I'm not going to be picky anymore. I was picky. You know, this bull that's right here above me, man. I mean, he, he was the, my first bull I ever killed and I picked him. That was him. We hunted him for three days, Joe and I, and we finally got him to slip up and, and do what we needed to do. And, uh, you know, that was an elk hunt for me. So now when I get a bull to play the game, to play the program, that bull's that bull for me. So it really doesn't mean the guys will be like, oh, yeah, but I've seen you pass because there was another bull around. Hey, now, look, I'm going to tell you if there's a bigger bull around and I got an opportunity. Well, for sure. You know, I'm going to try that, especially if I'm early in a hunt or something like that. But, man. Those, like I said, those opera guys that only have four or five days or six days, man, you know, if you can afford it, that takes away from all of that other pressure for the do it yourself guys. Right. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but it was the right thing for me to do to get the, get the education because I didn't have 10 to 14 days to spend in the woods. And I didn't have guys to ride the river with, to start with, they wouldn't even know where to start. So you know, you for imagine, me, it was about understanding. Imagine yeah. that. Imagine that solo pack out on yeah. that on oh that bull, God. right? <laughs> going into <laughs> going into out, that, bro. My, I needed to take a daggum loaf of bread up there and eat his ass on the mountain. Yeah, because I'm not getting him out of there by myself. Because yeah, you know, I mean that that is itself. You know, like that when I went back up to the high country this year, man. You know, I got yeah. back in there four miles, and. Yeah. Uh, I started keep. I was like, you know what? I'm four miles back here. I'm at eleven two. I'm feeling it, right? And man, yeah. it was a hell of a hike up. And I'm like, I'm yes. gonna have to do this three or four times to get this bull out of here mm-hmm. if I keep chasing him. You know, and mm-hmm. and what was funny, Gil, is is the factor was the bull that I had been chasing that had been kicking my ass. I left the area because right. I got tired of getting my ass kicked. Well, that, sure. you know, I'm, I'm up, but I didn't, I didn't plan to stay in that night. And I was like, yeah. what's in my pack? My puffy was in there, my beanie. I had my, my mountain ambush tarp. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to be warm. Temperatures ain't that cold. Yeah. Shit, I got up under a tree, man, put some pine needles down, wrapped up in that sure. tarp. And I woke up at 3 a.m. And uh, I sat up and I'm leaning against that tree. And I couldn't stop thinking about that bull. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go back down and get my ass kicked for the rest of the time. And I drove three and a half hours back to go chase the same bull that just beat on me for (laughs) for day after day. Hey, man, but that's what you wanted to do, guy. You made a plan and went to try to execute it yourself. That's what you wanted to do. And, and, you know, guys are going to start their elk hunting careers somewhere, whether it's going to be do it yourself, you know, by themselves. Man, I'm telling you, and and not not to not to knock anybody that does it by themselves, but guys, it's dangerous. You know, it's dangerous not to have a partner. You know, it's dangerous to be by yourself. Make sure you guys have got an inReach or a Zolio or something where you can at least talk with your loved ones and let them know where you're at. And you got an SOS feature on that thing where if you get into trouble, you know, these these mountainous situations we're in, there's nothing flat and there's nothing paved. Ain't nothing for well, there's nothing forgiving about it, right? And exactly. volcanic rock and when you take a spill uh it's gonna hurt you know it goes back to what i said earlier about about you know being honest with your shot the same applies right is is you know because you hear it all the time i uh Jarrett newman hunt league uh, it wasn't this year was last year and he's like hey man you know if you guys are going to be here i got this spot you know it's about 12 miles back 
And uh, I started laughing because I'm going with my son, right? I mean, talking to kids yeah. 17 years old, and I told him 12 miles, and he looked at me, and I just started. I was like, "Yeah, we're doing that in three days, Dad." Yeah, <laughs> and I and I told him I was like, "Bro, we're not doing no 12 miles." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no yeah. way. There's no way that that two of us, me and a 17 year old, is, is going to pack a bull, mm-hmm. you know, or a cow out 12 miles one way. Um, no. So being so, honest about it, I don't even want to go that deep. To, you know what I mean? Yeah. I really don't want to yeah. go that deep. Um, yeah. And and honestly, I've seen more bulls, more animals within two miles of the road Trail systems yeah. than I have when I'm back there four and five miles. Yeah. You know? And I and I think yeah. that has something to do with more guys going back deeper now. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and them animals just, you know, staying away from where the people are. Yeah. You know, the one, well, the one unit, man, we were – most of our encounters in the one unit come within half mile of the yep. main feeder road to the trailheads. And sure. we camp right there. We base camp and we go, we may do a two and a half mile loop as the biggest loop. We don't have to yeah. go. Every, every encounter we've had, the shot opportunity I had on the six was within less than half a mile from the trailhead. Less yeah. than, you know, and it's just like, yeah. damn, man, they're right there, you know, right there. No, we find that all the time, man. We that's the first thing we do is we make sure we're not driving by elk, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm telling you, from the get go this year, as soon as we left camp, we were in them, you know. I mean, not far at all. And RC and I are the ones that ventured out the furthest. I'm kind of the like guy that likes to go deep and work my way back because we don't know. So we decided we'd take that route and we were going to go the deepest and then work our way back in. And man, it wasn't long. We knew the mafia had already, you know, got into them close. And uh, we were like, all right, well, we're going to keep eliminating, eliminating, eliminating. Both those guys, you know, Manano tags and Luis wants to go long, right? And I'm like, well, if y'all are going long, guess where Big O's going? Because I'm going to tell you straight up, I know for a fact you don't leave elk to find elk, you know? And uh, it, you didn't you didn't have to hit me in the face with a shitty mop to me to figure <laughs> out where I was going, you know? And Manano said, hey, go up there. I guarantee you, you're going to get into some elk, you know? And, and look, when we got there that morning, brother, Oh my God, I looked up and up and up and up, man. I was like, Oh my God, what I'm glad we got here early, man. It was two hours of climbing, man, to get to just the first bench. Right. And then, and it's over deadfalls and nastiness. And I'm thinking to myself, these freaking Mexicans, man, (laughs) these guys, I mean, good God almighty. You know, I'd say that with all due respect, they're my brothers and guys. If you got a bunch of Latinos out there that are talking, we, we call them the Mexicans and they're actually Venezuelan. Wayland. So uh, I give them a hard time. I hope I don't offend anybody. But uh, at the end of the day, man, I was like, these daggum Mexicans, man, they, you know, they're not mountain climbers and stuff like that. But dude, they, they would take, it probably took them an hour, right? It took us two. Okay. Cause me, RC and Brendan with a broke ankle. Okay. That taped up and man, he's hobbling around and he, he even stopped us in the middle about seven 45. And he looked at me and he goes, WTF, bro? <laughs> what is what is up, man? He's like, dude, why this is ridiculous. I said, 
bro, we got to get up there where the elk are. Yeah, that's you know, it. the boys, the boys did it. Well, I said, do you think this is easy on me, bro? I'm like, I'm <laughs> dying here. Right. And I look at RC and RC's like rolling his eyes. Like, Oh my God, how much further, you know, when we get up there to that first bench and we're like, ah, no wonder they wanted up here. Right. And no wonder the elk are up here. So yeah, man, you, you figure out what you can and what you can't do. Now, listen, I knew if I knocked a bull down there, I'm going to call the cavalry, right? Because I know where them boys are. They're a couple miles away from me. They will dive off that mountain, and they will die to come and help one of us if we freaking knock a bull down, right? And I'm telling you, I knocked that bull down. It was dead in less than about 30 seconds, and we knew that bull was dead. I'm texting on the Zolio, another great device if you guys have not heard of it. We could actually have conversations on the Zolio devices between all our groups and I text every group and I said, bull down. Here's my, I dropped my pen location off a, off a base maps and onyx. And man, they bailed off the mountain and dove in Cole Wilkes and the, the CEO, Rob Canales drive in from another side, walk up where we went and actually got my two last quarters by themselves. I gave them the pin. They walked up where we went and back down with the quarters. So we made that pack out all at once. When I talk about my boys that we ride the river with brother, that's how we elk hunt. We attack an area. And when we knock something down, everybody stops what they got going on and we come in there and knock it out, man. Cause it was, it would look, man, it was, two hour pack. It was not easy at all, you know? Uh, and it was brutal going straight down and all that deadfall and everything. So, and luckily nobody got hurt. You know, one of the things that, that we had kind of talked about earlier as we were just conversating before we hit record was you got a plan to take the long way around. Right. And Definitely. you see it and yeah. you hear it and, and, you know, everybody is gung ho as we're, you know, as our thumbs are moving on, on, you know, Insta famous, right? I'm yep. a this and yep. I'm a that. Well, when you get there, you see it's different. And then I'm not saying that's everybody, right? And I'm, I'm broad stroking as, to, you know, yeah. qualified. So I don't offend anybody. And there are those sure. guys, you look at Dan Staten, Jeff Moran, you got them crazy SOBs, right? That are, that <laughs> are sure. 11 miles and are damn near running. Corey you know, Jacobson. Yeah, yeah. You know, you do have the anomalies that are really about it, but for sure, most folks aren't willing God to take, them the long way around. Right. And and you were talking about a scenario where, you know, some guys heard a bull and they're charging in the winds to their back. You're playing the bull, the bull wins them and blows out because they're coming up. And they said, well, they, we didn't want to go around. Did you see the other side? What it looked like? You got to take the long way around or your hunt's gone before the elk's gone before. Oh yeah. You you even knew if that was an elk or a hunter, right? I mean, you got to take the damn long way. So, you know, I hadn't killed my bull yet and, or no, I hadn't killed my bull yet. So RC and I decide we're going, we found a road up to this top ridge, man. We'd have to crawl that son of a bitch, man. <laughs> we were going to go straight up this freaking road early, early in the morning, get up in there and let, let the, you know, let everything come to life and then ease out there and start bugling or start cow calling and set our scenario up. Everything was so quiet, man. You heard a few faint bugles in the mornings, a few faint ones in the evening, but very little chatter, very little talk, right? But we knew the elk were in the area. 
from the sign that we found. Man, we we get off the bike about, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, and we just kind of settle in and wait for the gray light to start happening, and we start our little hike. And we get to where we're going, guy, and I mean, I went, yeah, yeah, and He's right in front of us. I'm like, oh my gosh, I knew if we got up here, the bulls were going to be here, right? And that bull is probably, I don't know, a quarter mile, half mile from us up the ridge. And here he comes, man. You can hear him glunking the whole nine yards. Here he comes. So, man, I just, yeah, I'm not doing anything other than, come on, big boy, let's go, you know, yeah. And he bugles again. And man, yeah, man, here he's coming. Well, RC, I put RC out in front of me and I'm like, listen, you know, when he gets to about 50, you need to motion to me and I'll just start walking away. I'll drag him right by you at 10 yards. We're going to, we're going to have a, uh, you know, a phenomenal hunt here. I had already killed my bull. So um, this was like the last three days that we were hunting. I'd already killed my bull and man, I'm doing everything I can to get my, my brother RC a bull, you know, and call him in and RC motions back to me. He sees the bull, the bull's coming in. And then man, all of a sudden RC turns and looks at me and, and, and tells me to go the other direction. So man, I just start going the other direction, cow calling that bull's on a string. I can hear him, man. He's getting more and more insistent, you know, and I, I hadn't said a word with a bugle at all. All of a sudden, man, the bull stops and the bull stops and he turns and looks in a direction like almost over his back. He turns and look in the direction and RC's like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden the bull turks a hard left and just takes off running. And RC's like, man, what in the world? And we hear, we hear this bull bugle and it's a roundup bugle, man. It's like, you know, and it's like, what in the world? You know, I, I look at RC and RC's like, I don't know. And so I, he starts motioning at me, come on, we're going to chase the bull. So I get up there to him and the bull, the bull does it again. I'm like, man, that ain't no bull, dude. I'm like, that doesn't rat two roundup bugles in a row here. I'm like, mm. so all of a sudden we start seeing out of the bushes. We start seeing two figures appear right up the bull's tail, man. They came right in on the same trail. The bull came in and the wind is in my face. So it's at their back. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, man. So, look, man, these cats were cool guys, man. We, you know, we high-fived them, and they were like, did y'all see that bull? Yeah, like, yeah, man, we saw that bull. Got him within, like, 68 yards, 70 yards of RC, you know, and he was frontal and looking, and then I'm like, guys, I'm not trying to be uh, mean or obnoxious or anything. What what made y'all dive off the mountain? What made y'all dive off the mountain with the wind up your ass? You know, I mean, I, I don't understand. And they're like, man, it's the first bull we've heard. And, you know, and then we heard this symphony going on down here below the ridge. Sounded like cows and bulls and everything else. And we like, there's a whole herd down there and we're missing out on this rut fest. Well, that was the scenario that we'd put on before that bull was rolling, you know. And they're like, man, we can't believe it. Did y'all see, did y'all see all those elk? And we're like, no, we're the elk, you know, and the bull was by itself, bro. And they're like, no way. I'm like, yeah, yes way, for brother. sure. So you got, you guys got to understand 
when you're doing doing your do it yourself and you're public land hunting, man, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna encounter that, you know. And you, it's really how you deal with it that defines you. You got to keep it cool. Well, you got to keep it cool, right? And 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 we've all in in and maybe there's those guys that did, but the majority of us in whatever scenario. Because we didn't keep it cool, we blew an opportunity, be it on a deer, yeah. be it on a hog, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But yeah. that you, – you, the wind riders, you, you, you dudes got to figure that out, right? Because with the elk, you can – It's you the know, number one it, thing. Yeah. I mean if they can see you and – and I've had a stare down. You know, I've when, – when I was calling this year for Brandon, I had a stare down with a, with a rag four and he's staring at me and I'm dead ass in the open. And he just stood there and stared and he turned and he chuckled, you know, and he didn't know what I was. Mm-mm. He never had my wind. Mm-mm. But man, the ones Mm-mm. that caught that wind that come around Ooh. me and ooh, gone. Soon as, and it's like, oh shit, he's gonna, he's coming around. And you can see him coming around, and it's like, and now, and soon as, you know what I mean? As they're coming. Like I said, man, it's, it's like, like somebody oof. hit him in the face with a shitty mouth, oh, boy. Dude. It's all over they're, with they're but gone, the crime. Right. And yeah. I, did I yeah. share that video with you with you and Joe? I think I did. I never posted it because me is it was me kind of being an a-hole. And this was <laughs> 2020 and uh we had we had moved areas right and we get in this area mm-hmm. and uh i heard a bugle off to call it my 10 30 right right so, locate and then boom i hear a bull chuckling at me mm-hmm. and i'm like the hell is he chuckling yeah. for right just right off the bat off of a locate he's chuckling right. and i and i put my head down and i gave it a second and uh, was like, all right, let's hit this again, right? So away from both of them at this point, I turned to my six, right? And mm-hmm. Hit another locate, right? The bull down here, real, just just barely heard it, right? What did I hear? <laughs> and I just looked and I go, oh, here we go, right? Here we go. And we were in for 10 days at that point. We were getting stomped. Mm-hmm. And, I go, and I told my buddies, I said, you know what? I'm going to just be a dick. I go, because that bugle, the last one with the chuckle was closer. The wind is in my freaking face. Yeah. This dude is going to come at us. I said, I gar- I told him, I guarantee you he's going to come running in. So I just sat there and played with him, you know, teased him a little bit. And dude, I mean, this wind is blowing and you can hear yeah. this, this guy is bugling, chuckle, 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 as he's getting 200 <laughs> yards to a hundred yards to maybe 75 yards. And I said, okay, let's move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's just like, of all things, like call me wrong, right? Call me yeah. wrong. Chuckle mm-hmm. at me on a locate, whatever, whatever you want to do. Challenge bugle and I'm locating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But don't, but don't have the flipping wind at your back and you be lining into what you think is your opportunity. Because yeah. doing that, you're never gonna happen. You're not gonna have an opportunity. Never gonna happen. Not gonna happen. Ne- ne- never gonna if if I could teach guys that are do-it-yourself guys one thing is if you do not play the wind, you will not see elk. No. I'm just going to tell you straight up. Nope. You could be in the most infested area of bulls and cows, but if you do not use the wind and the thermals to the, to your advantage, you the your Red hunt sea. is doomed. Yeah. Do what? You're going to part the Red Sea. Yeah, that's, man. That's I'm, I'm serious. 
Yeah, I, I, and I know it because <laughs> your soy has done yeah, that, brother. I'm saying, you know, all... I have made those stupid decisions, and you know, through caution to the wind, like I've done so many times with whitetails. These ain't whitetails, no. brother. I mean, you know, whitetails will put up with a whole lot compared to what an elk will put up well, with, that's, man. And that's the thing, right? I've I've watched deer win me, right? Oh, and yeah. still die. Oh yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. still and still get killed. Right. But I killed a doe this weekend. I killed a doe. She left three times knowing that I was there. She smelled me all three. <laughs> the wind was swirling. She stuck her nose, man, stomp around and everything. And I'm like, you dirty girl. If mm. you ever, if you open your mouth at all, you're getting it. And sure <laughs> enough, she walked out there. I'm like, all right, now you call down the thunder. You're going to deal with the mud, you know. (laughs) She walked away. I drew, you know, and she turned 26 yards, and that was it, man. I mean, she she left three times. She could have lived. She would (laughs) have just stayed gone. But that that allure of wanting to be where she wanted to be around that daggum feed, you know, elk are that way too. They're slaves to their bellies, but they ain't going to have no human around them. I promise you when they're doing it. As soon as you uh, see that twitch, so different. when when you yeah. see that twitch, right? When you watch, watch them yeah. smell you. Cause that oh. you're going to see that. You're going to see that muscle striation oh. pop out. And once you see Man. that, that's all she wrote. It, they're not yeah. going to wait. They're not going to run a little bit. I, at least in my experience, I ain't seen one do that smell me run a little bit turn around look stop stop wait 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 <laughs> now you could do that with some noise or some movement but yeah but I, oh, by yeah. golly you do oh, yeah. that with your scent yeah no out of country over. out it's, of country it's over how i figured out how potent your scent was to an elk it was me and the legend rc knox man we got a bull down in this little place they call the church and on, on this private land that we were hunting and we dive off this black timber and we see the bull and about 15 cows down there and it's jack pine after jack pine to get there and if we get to the last set of jack pines we got the wind in our face brother we got to go another 95 yards and we we get to the last set of jack pines and they're 35 yards from that bull. I'm like, you, it's a big six by. I said, you get me to that last jack pine and I'll, I promise you, we're going to be eating elk backstrap here tonight. And he's like, no doubt. And we got them, dude. I mean, we're coming out of that black timber. There's no way they're going to see us, right? Coming out of the black timber, just following those pines in that pine straw. It's real quiet. Wind's blowing right in our face at about 15 miles an hour. So we've got a good wind the whole night. Lead cows out there eating got our butt to us eating okay the elk all have their butts to us man eating okay and the wind's in our face so it's in their face too okay and uh, we're coming up the rear doing everything we could we stopped within i think we got 83 yards so we needed another 50 okay we got 83 yards man and we're sitting there fixing to make our next move because one of those cows kind of turned they could pick up our movement and so rc's like wait 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 dude i'm telling you i felt it and so did he that wind the back of the hit head. me in the yeah. back of our necks dude and rc just freezes and he goes oh no man yeah, i said buddy. What he goes, that wind shifted on us. Dude, the lead cow's got her butt facing us and she's eating away. All of a sudden, she raises her head up like that and she doesn't even look. Boom, man. I mean, she takes off up the freaking mountain, son, as fast as she could go and all of them go with her, dude. It's like, what what the? What happened? He goes, 
We happened. He goes, and the wind happened, bro. As quick as it was in our face and as good as we had it coming down there, it switched on us, man. And that they wasn't their day to die. But I had, she didn't even look in our direction, guy. She caught our scent, brother, and was gone. You know? And so I knew then. You don't play the wind, you not you're gonna done. win. You're done. You're done. It was funny because so when when uh Brad and I were hunting, it was probably I think we were like four days in. This is when I called that bull, that bull that bedded on us. And so the wind was the wind was coming from the west. So we come around and we working up the back of this ridge. And we got within I'm gonna call it 15 to 20 yards of where they were bedded. We didn't know that they were even bedded there, right? These cows. And uh, the wind was perfect, man. I mean, it's blowing and we're like, oh, it's coming right over the top, right? Well, what happens when you get to the top? That shit's swirling all over. For sure. We break, we're 10, 15 yards off the top of this sucker. And then all of a sudden we got eight, nine elk. I mean, just blowing off of our shoulder, right? Yeah. Like scare the shit off, you know, scare the shit out of you blowing off of your shoulder. Exactly. And, and it was odd that they ran they ran in our direction direction so that told me right there okay the wind's swirling right that's what screwed us they didn't know where it came from but Mm -hmm. they were going the the path of least resistance which was in this naked this naked hillside right Mm -hmm. wide open country and i mean dude you want to talk about two grown men screaming like (laughs) schoolgirls? they startled (laughs) the mess out of us exactly and it was, I mean, it was instant, right? Oh, the wind's yes. boom, gone. And then oh 20, my gosh. 2020, we're, we're working this cliffside, right? And the wind, it's, the dominant wind is always over this flipping cliff, dude. And we're, yeah. we're literally 20 foot off of a 250 foot sheer vertical. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, you hear that? My buddy goes, I don't hear anything. I go, you know what? All right, right here. And then C went other buddy he went to, he had uh take a deuce right so he he yeah. breaks down he's going you know off in this other low area so i just crack off a real light locate and here he comes and you can i mean we're watching him come through this new growth aspen and all you can see is his antler moving these little mm-hmm. aspens right and he just i mean literally just parting them you could just see it i can't see the body and he i mean he's i'm knocked and i'm like dude 23 yards 23 yards and it's like he's coming right. he's coming he's coming and i'm like this ready to draw you know i got my arm extended i'm ready to pull back on that sucker and then boom same thing i feel that come across the back of my neck right i mean right at the edge right at the edge and i'm like yeah no and as fast as i could say no when i felt that win he was already yep. gone going the other way. And and all oh, you yeah. can do is laugh, right? Because yeah. it, it's something it's something about being in the elk woods. Yeah. There is there is something they just got God's grace, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Because it was like, oh wait, let me blow this they right do. to you. That wind they do. that wind, I ain't kidding you, man. That wind changed 10 seconds later, and I never felt it go in that direction towards yeah. where that bull was coming from again, ever in that spot. We spent two, three more days in that area. I never felt the wind. And that was two years in that area. Yeah. That's why we were hunting it that way because we, the wind was always going over the cliff. Yeah. <clears throat> the crazy, I mean, it is just the craziest thing you'll ever see. But to the point, they're not going to hesitate to blow country. They're, they're no, gone, man. man. Not, no, not I look at it. 
Joe and I hunted one year together and we were hunting in this, uh, we actually, we hunted on the private ranch, but I drew a, a unit wide tag. So we could go wherever we want. We could go on the private or in the public, whatever. And we actually found a, a couple of bulls that were working in the private right on the edge of uh, public. And we actually got between the two bulls and the cows. There were probably 20 cows in a group and there were two big old bulls. We got between them and the cows. We wedged ourselves in there and we're calling the bulls and they are on their way, brother. They, we see them, they're coming and look, they're going to go with their cows. Right. So we just softly cow calling, you know, a few little mews and stuff like that. And then, you know, they kind of hung up a little bit. And as soon as Joe went to that little estrus call, you know, that insistent, that little whine, man, here they come. All of a sudden, bro, a bull bugles above them, okay? And he bugles and chuckles, and you I didn't hear it, but I thought I could hear some glunking going on. And what I didn't know then that I do know now is there was a rut going on up there, okay? There was actual cows in heat. There were no cows in heat right here with this group of cows, okay? And I'm going to tell you boys something. That's the only time you're going to get bulls to leave their cows is when there's no nothing going on right here with their group and they hear another group that's not too far from and they hear a, a rut going on. Bulls acting in a rut fashion. They hear that glunking going on. That's really what happens when there's a rut going on. They'll hear that glunking, right? Well, we hear that. Those bulls turn and just go away from us, man. They go towards that other bull bugling. And we were, it was funny, man. You know, we were like, these bulls are, are they not like cows? You know, we, we had a few choice things to say about their, their genderfication, you know, it's like, man, what's going on, bro? You know, but that's exactly what it was. There was a rut going on. So we take off, man. Boom. Get right on their tails. Winds in our face. Here we go. We're uh, we're cutting, cutting track and, and we're staying with cross over into public land. And we get those bulls uh, that are up there in that rut fest. We call this bull in on us on a string and I'm on my knees. The bull's coming and I just cannot find a way to thread the needle. Right. So the bull actually hangs up at about 44 yards and he's looking for us and he doesn't see us. So he bugs out. Right. It's not that he smelled us or anything. Well, we hear another bull below us back on the private. So we dive off after that bull. Right. When we dive off after that bull, we get in this area that the wind's coming and it's crosswind. Okay. So it's good. The bull's coming. Joe's got him coming. We see him. He's walking on a dead walk to us, bugling his full head off. And this is a big bull, man. It's a 340 plus. Okay. Big, huge bull. And he comes, walks right into this thicket where the, we're in the thick. Okay. We're not out on the park. We're in the thick. And this bull walks right in there. He's 12 yards from us. Okay. But it is so thick. There's no way you're shooting through that stuff. The bull, if the bull walks three steps to the right, the wind is crosswind like crosswind like this. The bull walks three steps to the right. The wind's just going to keep blowing away from him. And I'm going to, I'm going to arrow him at 12, at 10 yards. Okay. If he takes two steps to the left, that wind's going to hit him in the face like a shitty mop. Okay. <laughs> and he, he decides at his why he's going to go to the left. And I'm like, Oh no, Oh no. You know, me and Joe are there. So I just draw 
You know, I'm going to find a hole if I can somewhere. And the bull's walking, walking, walking. Is Dude, he's like eight yards, you know, 10, 12 yards from us. As soon as he hits that scent line, he spins and runs down the hill. And, dude, to add insult to injury, that some buck, dude, run up the side of that hill and just bugles at us back and Joe starts bugling at him, man. And, oh, my God. But it was the the wind, dude. Oh, man. I'm telling you, three steps, man, and the cat is we're, – we're celebrating over this giant, you know. So, fellas – you know, do it yourself. Guided hunt don't really matter. I've been on guided hunts where the guides didn't. Hey, look, I'm not just hunting with Joe and him. I'm hunting with other guys where the guys don't. The guides don't pay attention to wind. Man, I'm gonna, you're not going to see many elk when that happens. Nope. You know, you got to pay attention to your wind. I think it's more important than the area that you're in mm-hmm. because, you know. There's no doubt if you're not around elk, you're not going to see any of them. But if you don't use the wind when you're around elk, you ain't, you ain't see seeing them anyway. anyway. Yeah. You ain't going to see them anyway. You guys. know who has a cool video uh, is Chris Rowe on, on Absolutely. his Rowe Hunting Resources. Have you, I don't know uh-huh. if you've seen that one. And uh, he has a couple of – he's coming through, right? And he's like, oh, I hear him over here. And he gets after him, gets up. And I want to say there's three or four cows feeding in this little open meadow. There's a nice – a decent six – and then there's another, I think it might've been a, like a five, a decent five satellite kind of meandering around and, and, you know, Chris is doing his thing and, uh, he's not hunting, but he's out there yeah. teaching. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, I have never watched any hunting video, film, movie, um, <laughs> short educational piece, nothing that had me right. on the edge of my seat right. as he's like, this son of a bitch is going to win me. He's like, oh, no, yeah. no. And he's looking. Man, <laughs> I've watched it three or four times just because the the tension yeah. and the excitement and the, the anticipation. Is, yeah. And I knew what was going to happen the second, third, oh, fourth yeah. time I watched it. But, man, you want to talk about what happens and really get a good visual, right, if a guy wants to see how they respond. Man, I wish that was – I don't think – I have to look. I'll have to check and see if it's on his YouTube or whether it's on his mm-hmm. uh, on his website. But it is perfect because you get to see that bull coming around and circling on him, right? right. And and how it responds as soon as he met, as he gets him. And and Chris is very good at the descriptives. And okay, this is where the wind is going. If he gets to this point, he, he, my wind's going to smack him in the face. And oh man, it, it's probably it has to be the most exciting hunt thing i've <laughs> i've watched with elk but it's super educational yeah. i have and to it, check that out yeah and it really goes to what we're talking about here and it's yeah. it's instantaneous with elk they don't they they don't distrust their nose at all they smell it they're Ever. gone um Ever. you know other animals will run a bit and and stop but not not these boogers um no. one of the things that I like talk about about is because of all the mentors, right. And, and all the resources available that doesn't make you or anyone else that is consuming this stuff, a clone, right? No, for sure. All this information that we're taking in, that we're putting out, um, you have to take that and you make it your own. You find out what your strong suit is. And, and, you know, there, there's one example of that in my head is Jermaine Hodge. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I hear Jermaine call, I know it's Jermaine. Right? right. I mean, it is him. 
dude, he yeah. called in. I think he might be 40 plus elk this season. Wow. Right. And, and when you listen to him call, you know, that's him, right? Sure. But he's taken all this information that he's gathered. And, and I mean, he just has this exceptional ability in, in his calling. Um, mm -hmm. But you got to make, you got to take all this, figure out where your strong points are, not saying right. don't work or use your weak points, right? Hone in on those two, but you got to yep. make all this information your own. Uh, yes. You know, and, and, and for me, I think, and, and I'm a decent caller, right? I, yeah. I think I can yeah. call. I understand yeah. it now and I'm, I'm growing on it, but sure. there's things I won't do. And there's things I yeah. do do. There's things that, you know, Joe teaches that I love. There's things that mm -hmm. Mike Batiste teaches. There's stuff that yeah. I picked up, you know, listening or watching, talking to, to the bugler himself. Yeah. Right? Man. Um, and then, you know, you, you got to take this stuff, make it your own, but you got to start right now. Right. Don't, if you start in January, like the fitness journey we were talking about right, earlier, right. right? You're behind the curve. For if, sure. It really is in my head, a September to September activity in terms yeah. of preparation. If you're going to yeah. let something slide, slack, fall to the wayside or have to back or you're backpedaling, don't do that with your call and repertoire and the language. Right. I agree 100% guy, you know, the most important thing is for you to take bits and pieces of everything that you've learned and always try to improve on your weaknesses. You know, uh, we talk about, you know, that you're only as strong as your weakest link, you know, same thing with you guys that are do it yourself hunters that are out in the woods and y'all are dependent on yourselves. Well, you need to make sure that whatever your failure points were that you revisit that after your hunt and make those things not on, not if they're weak parts you got to bolster that but also keep keeping in mind all the guys that we use and that we talk about on our podcasts or you know even on our base camp or man take something from each and every one of them make it your own you know i i, I do have a calling style that's going to lend itself to where you hear joe in the woods you're going to hear me too right because there are guys that have been like Dude, I didn't know if that was Joe or you. What what a great compliment, right? Because right. to be complimented with a guy and that that means I'm doing something right, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I have taken a little bit from everybody, man. I, I took a little bit from Cole this year. I took a little bit, you know, I listened a lot to Paul Medell, the Elk Nut. I, you know, I've taken a lot of the scenario type calling that he's done and understanding the language and everything. Uh, you know, the subtleties that Joe's taught me um, with cow calls has has been the biggest thing for me when I get in close, how to close that deal, right? Is the subtle, the subtlety with cow calling, right? Even when a bull's hung up or you're on a barrier, I can actually it's it's aggressive calling, but it's finesse, right? It's not just in their face, you know. Uh so it it takes a lot of time and practice to get there, but I got a read that rides with me in my truck, mm -hmm. you know, and if I, I, you know, I do a tremendous amount of driving, probably close to a hundred thousand miles a year. Right. So I'm always in the truck and my, my son drives him nuts, but I'm going to blow a few cow calls and bugles and stuff like that on our way to deer camp or whatever, man. I mean, I'm constantly working on getting better, you know, working on my calling, uh, the fitness things, you know, again, you got to constantly keep getting better, but take things 
out that you find in everybody else's repertoire and make it your own. Right. You know, uh, I can't be Joe Gillian. I just can't. I'm, you know, uh, I, I'm going to be a version of that because that's who's trained me, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to be that way the rest of our lives. Our, your kids are going to grow up and have their similarities of just like their moms and dads. It's the same way with your elk hunting partners, mm-hmm. man. You're going to have some similarities, but the big thing is for you to, Find your strengths and weaknesses and work on improving your weaknesses while you get better with your strengths as well. And then, man, pass that on to your to your hunting partners, man. You know, do something with that that you you know, that you've learned, you know, do something with that. And, you know, we've talked, you know, this whole podcast about guys that you ride the river with. The last thing you want to do is keep all that to yourself and not try to, you know, get a guy better it's weaker at something when you have information that you could help him with. Well, that's your call to be a better. Yeah. He's just going to be a a better elk hunting partner. You know, Uh, it's, it's hard dealing with, you know, hunting with guys that don't call, you know, because you're the guy that it's on you the whole time to make it happen. And I, I guarantee you, Joe has felt that pressure for years until I started coming out and being able to hunt with Chav and do our own call. The first time I called a bull in for Chav, uh, one of the greatest days of my elk hunting career uh, to this day, I've killed a lot of beautiful elk, man, some big bulls, but it'll never top me calling in that giant bull for Chad. That That's right? one thing I got to experience this year was, yeah. was calling that bull in for Brandon and have, and, and having that bull <laughs> and having that bull do exactly what I wanted. I mean, exactly what he was supposed to do based on what we were talking about in that yeah. scenario. Now the shooter being out of place, that's another discussion, Yep. but you want to talk. I mean, I couldn't even be mad. I couldn't, it was, it was a phenomenal feeling and, oh, and all you could do is like, I just did that. Right. Yeah. I, just, I can't wait to do it again. Right. I just, did, <laughs> but, but it's not, I just did that and killed that bull. I just did that for someone else. Else, right? Absolutely. Like man. I did everything. Changes the game. Yeah. I did every dude. That was such one. It's a boost in your, in your ability as a caller, right. Sure. Which is going to just, that's going to escalate your drive mm-hmm. a thousand fold. Like you are going mm-hmm. to, it's going to hit you and you're going to be like, that is, that's the feeling, right? That's better than that's better than arrowing your own animal. I, I agree. And, and if somebody disagrees uh, with that, let's have a discussion because <laughs> in, to get someone an opportunity on a bull, knowing that's how they feed their family for a year. Right. Yeah, man. Oh dude. Yeah. I was, I was elated. Now the situation kind of sucked, but all we could do was sit back and laugh and, and the, the, the disbelief on, on Brandon's face as I'm laughing and the bulls bedded down. I'm, you know what he's like? What the fuck just happened here? Yeah. But it is just an amazing. It's an amazing thing when you can get your your language there, and you've made it your own, and you know what works for you, and you just it just repeat it. It's repeatable, repeatable, repeatable. Yeah. Oh man, it's just it's phenomenal, bro. Phenomenal. Yeah. Again, for me, it's full circle, you know, where I came from to where I am today. Am I where I want to be? No, but am I better than I was before? Absolutely. You know, and I keep getting better in, um, you know, uh, I, 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 
I have the utmost confidence that if I go in the woods, I'm going to have an opportunity. If I hear an elk and if, I, if I'm if i in them, I, I got a really good opportunity to harvest a bull. I really feel like if I hear a bull I can, and I can get to him, I can kill him. Right. There's no doubt in my mind I'm going to figure out a way, a scenario to get in there. The thing was with us this year, guys, we just didn't hear very many. Right. And and even the bull I killed came in so silent. We the patients we had to exude were almost almost like, mm, man, like you wouldn't believe. Right. I would never wait 35 or 45 minutes in a setup until I listened to Paul Medell. Right. And I bet you I've left a bunch of scenarios where elk came in 10 minutes after I left. You know what I mean? I never saw them. We sat when, when I, when I pulled off that first calling scenario down on the first bench, I bet I waited there 35, 40 minutes, but it wasn't long enough. Okay. Cause I'd have killed that bull if I'd have just stayed there. Right. We went up to the second bench and had another party going on in like 20 minutes. And I'm sure that bull was like, got to the first bench. He was like, Where'd they go? Where the hell is everybody? Yeah. You know, oh man, I hear him up there. And he just kept coming. Well, we got tired of waiting on him and we're videotaping scooter ducks in the dadgum wall. <laughs> you know, we're videotaping ducks in the wall. The whole nine yards are done, got done with that scenario. I'm waiting and everything else. And we're like, man, we're fixing to move up to the next bench. And I turn and look and this boy is walking in on us, guy. I mean, walks dead into the middle of our set and ain't nobody got their bow in their hand, but me and RC, our Brendan's videotaping got his bow down there by his side. Luckily, we were smart enough to be downwind and in in the in the uh, aspen tree. So when he walked in there, he had no clue where we were. You right? know what you need, but he just you know what you need. What? Get get with uh get with my boy Armando there and get one of them bow hitches on your bow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have you seen those? Exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. You I have. Seen them? Yeah. yeah, that man. Yeah, where, where you just hang it from your side there. Oh, dude. Yeah, game it's pretty changer. cool. Yes, yeah, for sure, changer. for sure. And, and and mine was, so mine was at my side. Uh, I had a hold of it, but I had to knock an arrow, right? So when this bull walks in, he walks in at 18 yards and gets in the wallow. Okay. <laughs> and he has no clue that we're there, right? But we alerted him. <laughs> <laughs> Me and RC trying to knock an arrow it was like a monkey with a football, son. I mean, it was crazy, boy. It was like, oh my God, we're fumbling. And, you know, we, we actually boogered him twice before he ever was like, all right, jig is up, man. I'm out, you know. And he ran out there and look, if I don't draw and I don't call cow call to that bull, I don't stop him. He just runs out of our life. I cow call. He stops. I get a yardage on him. I think he's 50. Brendan says 53. And when I touch it loose, dude, at 53, it center punches him between both lungs, man. And uh, we watched him run off bleeding and he went up that hill and crashed right there. I mean, but look, dude, he ain't said boo. He ain't said, <laughs> we thought we heard a bull below us in that first bench the first time. And that was probably him coming, but it was very faint. It was like, very faint. And we're like, man, fellas, was that really a bull? Or was that just kind of these, we call them squeaky forest, right? Oh, the, the wood. Yeah, that's you know, the we're like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're like, nah, you know, we waited 35 minutes and we bail out. And again, 
when I go back, I'll wait an hour, hour and 15, 20 minutes before I'll go move set, you know, because those bulls were coming in silent. And a lot of it had to do with the pressure, right? A lot of it had to do with the hunting pressure that was around us. And there weren't that many cows. So when they heard that there were some cows around there, they were going to come investigate, but they weren't talking, you know, uh, the bull Luis did killed. He only spoke when he got within like 40 yards of him. And then he heard that whining cow call and the bull answered like to scared the bejesus out of both of them. Right. They're like, Oh my God, he's right on top of us. You know, they're like, Man, don't move. Where is he at? You know, because he was so close, you know. Uh, so we learned a tremendous amount of, you know, about that pressure and how they shut up and the way that they reacted to the pressure, you know. But if we don't really learn, we don't learn how to call and and make make adjustments on the fly and be patient. We don't get those done. We don't get those out done up there, brother. You know, so, you know, thank God I've had a really good mentor in my life, like Joe and RC and Chav and, uh, you know, and, and do podcasts like yours and freaking, you know, uh, Paul Medell and all of the podcasts that, you know, we listen to, the, you know, the Huntsman, all, all of the cool stuff that's out there, man, that we've been able to, to, and, and, you know, the, the Dagum uh, base camp that Joe's come up with, I, I went through the base camp myself because, yeah. oh my God, the stuff I learned that I've known, but you just refresh it, you know, mm-hmm. and you, and I take notes, you know, because look, the older I get guy, the worse I am about remembering <laughs> things. Right. So uh, at the end of the day, I try to take notes and in, in everything that I do, man. But, you know, making things making things your own way the way that you hunt uh and learning from the guys that you've been with man is how you get to be more and more successful and 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 i'm not i don't want to steal their shine or anything but you could have all those mentors and you could listen to all this stuff and you can consume as much as you want to consume this goes for me, you, and anybody else yeah. that, that, you know, is still learning and growing. And I don't think what elk you ever really stop, but you gotta be willing to really sit there and put out, you know, put in that work. You can't listen to one podcast that, that, you know, I did with Paul or, or you guys did with, you know, Paul yeah. or whoever it is. Michael and, Batiste. Yeah, yeah. And think that now you got all the information, right? I mean, it, it again, to me, it's September to September with this. Right. It's, it's that repertoire. I agree. That repertoire. It's the reason why grow. we've kept the podcast. It's the reason why we've kept the podcast year round. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even though, you know, we know that our peak is getting in there towards the September time. Right. That's scary. But, though. That's scary. Yeah. It, it, yeah, for sure. The peak, the peak of the podcast realistically yeah. should be when guys are coming out of September. Right. Agreed. Because the, because the failures and the successes are fresh in the yep. mind. And, and yep. that's where we need to capitalize on them, because let's be honest, most guys aren't taking notes. Most guys aren't mm-hmm. journaling. Most guys aren't mm-hmm. even, you know, dictating on their phone. This was this way. This was this way. This time, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And right. So so to hear you say that and I don't, I'm sorry, I cut you off. But to hear mm-hmm. you say that is if we are going to be better elk hunters, better hunters, right? Mm-hmm. September to September. When I come out Agreed. next year, everybody listening, Gil better be telling me or Joe better be telling me that damn peak time was September through 
January and really didn't yeah. fizzle after that because that's where yeah. it should be when it's fresh yeah. in your mind, right? Yeah. That, Agreed. You know what I mean? That's where we got to, yeah. that's where we'll change the 10% and maybe we'll make it climb to 12% in these DIY, yeah. OTC, you know, backcountry, whatever else the hell we call them sure, <laughs> units, man. you know? Yeah. It, yeah. I, I, I don't think that you can ever get too much information on elk hunting uh, because of, I mean, so let me talk to you a little bit about my brother, Luis Gonzalez. Okay. That Mexican, I mean, Venezuelan, he yeah. is the <laughs> ultimate daggum engineer. Okay. And he, he, he diaries every day of his hunt. I mean, from the minute hour he diaries that. So he can go back and look at every day. That's a day when we deer hunt together, he diaries every day. Right. So nothing escapes that cat, man. He's like a sponge. Right. He's a wealth of knowledge because that cat can go back to every day and, and he recaps it at the end of the day. He recaps what what he's wrote down. And the, I'll see him a lot of times, man. He's jotting something down on his phone and it's in his notes. Right. Mm -hmm. And. So he can compile it at the end. It's kind of how he winds down. And we'll have us a little drink and a little cold drink and sit there and he'll be winding down with his phone and, and he'll be uh, entering what went on during that day. And look, he taught me a whole lot with that because now I can, when I fished professionally, man, I would diary everything time of day. We call them water temperature, wind direction, you know, area depth. Well, you know, whether we were in grass or whether we were on a Creek channel bench, whatever it may be. I started, yeah, I started doing that. And man, I could go back to every year and look in that time of year where I was at said Lake and I could almost go back to that same pattern. Right. Luis has done that with elk hunting. And it's the same thing, guy. We can always go back and look at that pattern, right? And it's almost, almost like overlay uh, in a lot of these cases, right? Where whether it be the way we were calling or where what area we were hunting in or, you know, uh, the moon phase, whatever it may be, it's almost like, oh, I know exactly what to do in this wind situation or because that's what would happen before. Luis is a consummate professional at understanding his weaknesses and his strengths, right? And uh, I think those are huge things for our elk hunters out there today, man, is document what went wrong and document what went right. And then help your brothers, you know, help your brothers with understanding that. And, and to further it, right? I mean, opportunities change. Um, you know, a state may have a ton of OTC tags this year, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. and you go, you know, now you got to go to X state because you didn't get it on that state because they lowered the number. And you're going to have to draw on those old experiences in yeah. a lot of your scenarios that you're faced with, you know, next season, two seasons That's from right. now, three seasons from now. And just like you said, right, the older you get, the, the, the less the memories there. You're not going to remember every single moment just off of memory. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, man, that's why it's so important for me to document. Yeah. That's why it's so important for me to document it, you know, and, and it was so important. I told you one of the key things for me is understanding the road systems when I get to a new place, because I'm not the guy that's going 12 miles in. Mm -hmm. I'm not the guy that's going to hike seven miles because I can't. I want to hike two miles and kill that rascal, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you know what I'm saying? Yep. And get there 
in a plenty of time to, to where I can make it all happen. So for me, it's understanding my capabilities and then uh, and then making the hunt that's conducive for my strengths. Right. I know what my weaknesses are. So I'm going to hunt to my strengths. Right. It was the same way when I fished. I'm on a I'm a power guy. I'm a power fisherman. I'm going to fish that if you want to be drop shot and finessing offshore in 40 feet of water, man, you know, that's your deal. But that ain't how if, if I can't touch bottom with my pole, I'm fishing too deep. So that's the way I was when I when I fished. But I knew what my strengths were and I, what my weaknesses man, were. We're going to have so, to I come down there. We're going to have to get on the bass boat, man. I'll, I'll get that clown crankbait out, man. And it, I'll give you a run for your money, bro. brother. Y'all love that Ooh, clown crankbait. Man. I throw a clown jerkbait a lot. Man. Yeah. Oh, and, dude, uh, we catch that, a lot of fish. Me and that deep diving clown. Clown. We've been yeah. good friends since I was about 12 years old, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man, that's, oh, that's cool. Oh, Guy, man. let me ask you one question. Do you put into to, uh, multiple states when you go elk hunting? Or yeah. do, you, so, do you put all your eggs in one basket? What I, uh, it's Wyoming. This is my Wyoming story. Um, I always put into Wyoming because I'm dying to get uh, back there, right? I got a, I got a vendetta. Um, and then <laughs> I've I never just, hunted there. I hear it's fantastic. Dude. I, I absolutely, you know, and it's nothing, I, I think with me, one of the, the, the biggest bull I have seen is, is was up there. I mean, this thing, I mean, this guy was a tank. He was eight, seven by eight. I mean, oh, just wow. a monster, right? He had a harem of 15 cows and he's laying mm-hmm. down on this river bottom across uh, from us as we're looking for my bull that I had arrowed, right? We're blood trailing him. And uh, he's just down there and he's laid down on his belly and I didn't even see him. And I saw these cows, right? And I hear this. (laughs) And I look right in about 150 yards and I, and, and you know how you you see a bull and you see a good bull and you're like, that's a good bull. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see a a rag and you're like, ah, a little rag, you know? Sure. Sure. You see that monster. Right. And, oh you, my and, gosh. and you see the mass. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Way back here. Oh, yeah. On those beams. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And you're just, yeah. you're floored. And those whales look like they're a foot and a half, two foot apart. And you're mm-hmm. just like, holy shit. I just want to go back, one, for the vendetta portion of it, but two, because I want to see another animal of that caliber. Right. right. And, and, you know, like I'll be in, in New Mexico next year um, on that muzzy hunt. Right. And uh, so, I, you know, New Mexico, I'm looking, I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to see 380s and 4s, right? <laughs> and that's New Mexico. But to get into New Mexico. Well, you, you drew, you, you, I'll you be going with, on uh, a muzzleloader hunt? Yeah, I'm going on a muzzy hunt. Diego Ortero is going to actually guide me on that hunt. So we've been planning this a couple of years. I'll be his first. That is so cool, brother. I'll be his first are y'all, on, are y'all private land? Yeah, it'll be, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a oh. private land tag. So that's how I know so I'm going. Cool, brother. Um, and, and D is going to be, I'll be his first, I'll be his first client. So, oh wow, yeah. that's cool. So can you can me. you can you say what area y'all are going to be in? If I not? if I remembered, I would tell you. No, but that's it was cool. like, hey, oh. uh, we have this opportunity, and I'm like, say no more. You Dude. know what I mean? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know where it's going to be, but I'm going to tell you, New Mexico's a special place. Oh, dude, I can't wait. Straight I, I, up, Diego. Straight up. Diego's funny. He's like, uh, he's like, uh, what did he tell me? Uh, you going to call? And I'm like, wait a minute, bro. Like. 
We're talking about you guiding me. Like, I don't want to do nothing. Yeah. I don't even want to cook my own food. <laughs> I just want to shoot my gun. Exactly. Yeah. I want to yeah. shoot my gun. So, and that was what, you know, going back to where we talked about do it yourself or guided hunt. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't, all I want to do is pull the bow back and let it rip. I didn't want all that other stuff. I right? want him to earn uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I want it. Yeah. Well, I made them boys earn it. I promise you, I made them want to cuss and throw rocks at me for three or four years for sure, especially Carl Gamage. But you know what? Carl loved me for me being so daggum sold out to the process. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually he told me several times, you know, you aggravate the dog shit out of me. But at the end of the day, I love you because, you you know, you made a decision and that's what you stuck yeah, with. So um, that's huge, man, especially in this day today. and age. You know yeah, I man. Mean? You know, I, 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 uh, again, for me, it was about hunting the bull and, and wasn't about a bull. The money wasn't no big deal for me either. Uh, you know, I knew after my first year, I knew what the money was going for. So, uh, it was all about me putting in that, you know, that job and that, that work to get better because I knew what I wanted to do after that. I knew that I wanted to have that opportunity to guide people and to be a a guy that could call bulls in. Mm -hmm. I mean, we turkey hunt down here a lot, right? And call a gobbler in down here, dude, that is a cool hunt. But it ain't even pale in comparison to calling in a thousand pound screaming Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they will make you forget everything you learned about bow hunting in about five minutes run down the crack of your ass. We we talked about it earlier, right? Because it makes guys forget about the wind. (laughs) It does, man. Everything you learn about it will just... Yeah, you got to learn how to stay composed, man. That's the big thing about elk hunting is you got to learn how to stay composed and stay stay in the moment, stay composed, and then you got to close. Yeah. When you get that opportunity, man, you got to learn how to close. You got to draw, guys. Don't wait on the bull. Draw your bow, and then deal with what happens, man. The, don't draw while the bull walks behind something because he's probably going to see your movement and stop. And now you're in. The, let him clear that stuff and draw. He's going to stop. I promise you, man. <laughs> I, I, I had so many guys with me, and I'm like, draw. He's looking at me. Draw the bow, <laughs> but but he's going to. I will stop him. Draw. You know, it's like, good night, nurse, man. You can never shoot a whitetail unless you draw the daggum bow. And these are guys are, these guys, man, killed truckloads of whitetails. But there's something happens when a big Rocky Mountain bull gets in front of them and they, they the bull's looking right at them. Their eyes are bloodshot red. I don't think screaming. I don't think you realize what it is in terms of the weight on on your mental ability when yeah. that animal gets there it's you know, and every and everybody says the same thing god damn that's big yeah exactly <laughs> they look like a with yeah. big horns yeah, I big know antlers big, you know yeah so it's like yeah. you know well like my wild bull right i held draw on a 70 pound bow for a minute and 45 seconds Wow. A minute and 40, because it was just like, and dude, I was trembling and you know what I mean? Oh, and you yeah. get to that point and you got the, you got the Vitalakis going yeah, and it was man. just like, you know, but you're going to have to do it. Might as well do Look, it. And I, don't let that SOB down. You let it down. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many may guys. Not get it back. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how many guys have let it down and not blown the opportunity. Yeah. I, I, again, man, I, 
you, you have to draw to have the opportunity. That's the biggest thing with most novice hunters is they worry about, you know, the bull seeing them. Man, look, that bull, if if you're camoed and you've got a good backdrop, chances are he's not even going to see you. And especially if he's walking or moving, you know, you, you can cow call to him. You can bark. I mean, there's a lot of things. I will tell you this, man, my brother, Joe, he's kind of pulled it out on himself this year. He bugled at a bull to stop him. And man, don't do that. Cause <laughs> that bull, you should, it's on video guys. Y'all will see it. when bull, when uh, Joe puts it out, that bull's eyes got that big around when Joe bugled at him and he's walking dead at him and he goes, and that bull's like, Whoa, no, another bull. Boom. He took off running. I thought he was going to run Joe over, man. (laughs) So Joe's like, I'm like, why did you even bugle? He goes, man, I'm telling you, I figured that was going to get him to stop because he was he was with that cow. He said, and I figured that was going to get him to stop. But he goes, note to self, don't bugle it one yeah. when they were with a cow. He, he might have got his butt kicked like earlier. Gnarly bull, yeah. you know? He might have got uh, his butt stomped earlier in the season. Exactly. That's what he said. He might have got his butt whooped earlier, you know. So, I, it, again, guys, you got to draw your bow, man. And, uh, and then – you know, close the deal when you get the opportunity, man. Uh, no, and uh, that's another thing, man. We get so focused on deer hunting and that shoulder area and stuff like that with deer. Elk ain't deer, okay? And they got big, huge bones and thick scapulas and stuff. I don't give a damn how hard an arrow you, heavy an arrow you shoot or how much poundage you shoot, man. There are places to harvest these animals, man, and and do it quickly. Get away from that daggum shoulder and get back behind that shoulder mid body and let the, let the big dog eat. And you will walk up there and put your hands around that big bases all the way out to the main beam. And you'll be standing up (laughs) with your hands on his horns while he's laying on the ground. I'm six foot one inches tall, man. And when I kill my 350 bull, I'm standing up with his horns and he's still above me, man. I mean, it was unbelievable to see they're amazing creatures guy god's given them the ability to live with the grizzly bears and the wolves and everything else and still be able to flourish and uh you know be uh unbelievable athletes and you keep know us keep us down at that 10 percent <laughs> and, and keep us down to the 10 percent. i'd like to know what the number is i know that's the archery number i'd really like to know what the what the number is for for rifles. Cause I bet it's not, I bet it's not astounding. I bet it's not like 80% or something it, like you know that. What there's, I've seen a couple, I was looking last year and there was a couple that were up there, smaller units, uh, yeah. very limited entry. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll see, you know, you'll see a high percentage, but I would say generally, I'm talking speaking, overall. Yeah. I say generally speaking, I don't think it's going to be upwards of 30%. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. Guys think it's so much easier with rifles, but it ain't. You know, no. they're still big critters and they're unbelievable athletes. If you don't put that bullet where it's got to be, they will tote it like they owned it. Mm-hmm. They will take it like a man. Let me be- believe you me. I have watched one tote five shots from a 50 caliber muzzle loader and shake it off like a bad case of fleas, son, because it was not in the right area, you know? And uh, they are tough, unbelievable critters, man. Mm-hmm. Um, unbelievable athletes, uh, that, that, that have everything, uh, everything out there trying to kill them and all day, including us. Yeah. Yeah, All day, every day. So they're, they're incredible critters, but hunting in Wyoming is something I've never done. I'm going to start putting in and see what happens. I've never hunted in Montana either. And you know, that grizzly, is there grizzlies in Wyoming? Yeah. uh Uh-huh. 
<laughs> See, I've never been around grizzly bears either. I've been around them big black raccoons and my, stuff like that, big black bears. I had I've never a, been around them. I had an area picked out. So my first, my, that was 2018, I think, when I first went up there. Uh-huh. I think it was 2018. And I, I showed up, man. I broke state line. It's late, tired. I got me a hotel room. And I'm looking at the area. I'm like, you know, this is pretty close. I'm going to go check this out. And, uh, was talking to uh, the guy at the hotel and uh, they had a, a couple of grizzly sightings in that area. And in Wyo, you can't go into wilderness uh, unless you're with a guide or a resident. Oh, wow. And this was out of the wilderness area. Right. And I said, Nope, I'll be on the other side of the highway. Found me a little walk in <laughs> public land. <laughs> I was like, no, man, I got, I got a 40 cal on me. I'm not going to Grizz. I'm not in, and you avoided by not going to the wilderness areas. Right. For the most part, but yeah, they, uh, they got them. That's, wow. that's, uh, I, I deal with mountain lions at home all the time. Right. Every time mm-hmm. I'm in the woods and they don't bother me one bit, mm-hmm. I, I could care less that they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something about the grizzly that, uh, yeah, it makes your hair stand up a little bit. Man. They get a pass from me, guy. Yeah. I don't have no hankering to go shoot. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I've had two big, y'all have probably heard me on the podcast. I've had some real good run ins with black bears and they've spared my life when they could have eaten me. And uh, I, I'm telling you, they get a pass in the United States. Now, if I travel to Canada, I might shoot a black bear. But in the States, they, they, they're they free. And the and the big brown bears, the big grizzlies, they're not going to have to worry about big oak coming for them. Because <laughs> I'm telling you straight up, man, if they leave me alone, I'm going to leave them alone. El Oso Grande is going to be safe when big O's around. <laughs> I get a pass. I, I passed one last year, man. I could have shot him at 10 yards, man. And I'm like, just please don't eat me, man. And he just kept right on boodling along. And I'm like, see there, I, I looked to my buddy and I said, see there, man, I didn't have no tag. And I, even if I would have had a tag, he ain't getting it. I can tell you straight <laughs> up, man. He let me pass. I'm letting him pass. And, uh, and look, I like, I like bear meat, you know, when them boys killed that bear. We had a bunch of that bear meat and it's good, mm. you know, uh, but grizzly nah. And, and, you know, guy, we've killed a lot of mountain lions down here in the state of Texas. And I mean, we're around them every day, but we can hear them at times on our, our ranch in South Texas. And, you know, we know they're there. Bobcats, mountain lions, stuff like we know when we get out of our UTVs and stuff, when we go deer hunting, we ain't alone, man. There's critters out there. There's coyotes and lots of coyotes and they're, they're very vocal. My mountain lions don't, don't vocalize a whole lot, but we do know what they do sound like when we do hear them. So, Hey man, that's uh, a eerie, that's (laughs) absolutely. It was funny. It was probably 20, 2012. Somewhere in that realm, 2010, 2012, and we're up in the Sierras, and mm-hmm. uh, some guys that worked for me wanted me to come hunt with them. So we, you know, of course, you know, you're not gonna say no. So we're up mm-hmm. there, man, and there was this cool, this cool open meadow, right? And it was just, you know, how you get them random ass giant rocks just sitting in this meadow, like something blew yeah. up back in the day, and they landed here because there's no other rock yeah. around. <laughs> And, right. I, and I would go out and I'd lay on these big giant boulders, man, in the middle of the night and no lights or nothing. I just lay there, look up at the stars, cool, man, just, man, just, you yeah. know, in God's country, counting mm-hmm. stars. And uh, they were like, oh, yeah, that's crazy, boss. That's crazy. And I'm like, no, nah, man, it's beautiful. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you want to experience this, you know, come on. 
And so that night I, we got out there, man. And, you know, everybody's got this rock that they're laying on and they're like, Oh, this is amazing. You know, they've never done it. They've been in this area 10 years. Never, never right. bothered to look up because the beer and tequila kept them. Right. And uh, we're laying there, man. I mean, it's just quiet. Nobody's saying nothing. Everybody's just enjoying it. And all of a sudden, man, you just hear that whiny oh, yeah. screaming, just, I mean, just the, Man, I ain't never seen. Yeah, I ain't never seen grown men get off of a rock and move so fast <laughs> in the dark in my life. And all yeah. I could do was laugh because you hear it. They're like, oh, oh, and it's just booking it. <laughs> you, you know, and and we've heard that before. But Ooh, I tell you, I tell you what else we hear, man, when we're down in the river bottoms hunting, is we'll hear them chirp. They mm-hmm. chirp like little, like little chipmunks, yeah. man. Yeah. They'll make chirping sounds. Yeah. And and it's like, man, you know, we're thinking, is that is that a turkey? And then, man, you'll hear, and you'll hear the squirrel start. And man, you're like, oh my gosh, no, there we know is. exactly yeah, what that really. is, man. Very rare do you see them, but man, you can hear them along that river bottom chirping and and stuff like that. And you know, Brendan Houlihan, one of our uh, guys that hunts with us. I took him whitetail hunting long ago and he killed, we killed four mountain lions in one day on, oh, on a ranch, right? In Texas. Never been done before. I wrote a big article in Texas Trophy Hunters about it. And uh, he killed, he actually killed three of them. And uh, it was crazy. Uh, he's got them all in a, in a, in a set. And when I say he killed three, I know he's got two in the set. And then the other one, I don't think we found, but they found him later all decomposed and stuff. But man, I'm going to tell you right now, understand when the wildlife biologist came out to talk to me about mountain lions in the state of Texas, they told me the number one thing in the state of Texas about mountain lion was their favorite food was an old mule deer buck because they, they can't see very well anymore and they can't hear or smell very well anymore. So it's very easy for them to, to prey on them. And that's why they get so big because they eat a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were like, we were on a ranch. that was a working goat and sheep ranch, right? And whitetail hunting. And they had killed they were missing like 65 goats in a couple of weeks. And look where Brendan walked in there, he was on, he was on a mule deer buck kill and like four goats where they killed him. It was a family of, of, of uh, mountain lions, bro. Like I bet there were six all together. Okay. And they were hunting together in a pack, Dude. which they've never seen that before. Okay, brother. check this out. All right. I've been saying this, and, and I've been saying this because it's concerned me in this state for quite some time, uh-huh. right? Because they uh-huh. put a ban on us hunting lions. And about six or seven years after that ban, down by one of the lakes here, they started getting, at the guzzlers, they started getting pictures of packs, right? And it'd be six, seven, eight of them together. And, and, Evolution has made them solitary animals. They hunt solo. And I'm like, well, how long does it take for these animals to realize or figure out that it's easier to hunt as a pack of lions? Oh, yeah. And their success rate versus hunting solo, which is a phenomenal success rate. They're like 98 percentile killers. Yeah. Yeah. When they're hungry, they eat. Dude, can you imagine when that? switch flips and they figure out that if we hunt in a pack we're 100 percent eaters that that has now when when we start seeing that here in the state i'll be concerned 
Right. Look, so, you know, down here in Texas, we, we have corn feeders, right. Where we feed our deer and we feed everything. Right. So those rascals were getting to where they hunt the corn feeders, man, because it's where game congregate. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're not stupid. What we think happened and what the wildlife biologists think happened was we had a huge flood down through the out of big bend and they had like 14 inches of rain come down through there. And man, the flash floods are huge. And they think they washed a bunch of those cats down the rivers. Right. And that's where they, they transplaced them right, right there, man. They, they transplanted them right there in the middle of that ranch. And they were like, they all in all, they killed like eight or 10 in the, in three months there at on the that same ranch. property. At the same property. Okay. Now it's 6,000 acres. It's 12,000 acres in total, but 6,000 acres is where they killed them. Right. And they killed 65 goats in two weeks. Okay. Between however many of them were there. We know for a fact there were six there because he killed three. I saw three more that were live. And I saw, and then one of our other buddies that night killed the big tomcat that was there. So that was four. Right. So I saw three more. That was seven. We thinking like it's more like eight or ten uh, as. Yeah. And crazy that they were all around one one spot. But when we found them, they were on two mule deer buck kills and like four or five goats that they'd stuffed under a bunch of brush. Right. And what was happening is the mama was teaching those yearling cubs how to catch and kill. And it was easy with them goats, man. They'd knock them goats in the head, you know, with a paw swipe and then bite them in the throat and drag them up under something. And they were going to come back and and eat them. See, uh, mountain lions won't eat uh, anything they don't kill, right? It's not, they're not scavengers like bears. Mountain lions got to kill their own stuff to eat it. And they'll, they'll cash it and then come back and eat on it as it's decomposing, right? But they will not eat something that's already decomposed they ain't killed. How was how the growth? And I'm curious because this is what I think happened in, in that area by the lake here is that area kind of had a housing boom, right? Mm-hmm. So as that housing, you know, as we encroach on them, they, you know, mm-hmm. their area gets smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we are congregating those animals sure. that would be solitary. Did you, you, was there growth going on at the time around the negative? Around man. The ranch, they ain't, huh? There ain't nothing in front of that. I mean, Sanderson's 45 miles from them and, no shit. uh, wow. uh, and, Sanderson's 45 miles from them. I mean, they're, they're back in there 12 miles from any road. Wow. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's that's crazy scary. in these big canyons. Oh my that's, God. That's scary. So it made me want to carry a weapon with me yeah. and knowing that, Hey, I ain't alone. So we've been around them a lot down here. I've never been attacked by one, but I guarantee you I've heard them and been around them. But, you know, when you see a bear, that's an ominous figure, you know, and you're within proximity of something that can absolutely eat you, mm-hmm. you know, and and in, enjoy eating you. You know, it's like, hmm, man, you know, you got to really be respectful of animals like that. And I don't see cats hunting us, but the bear actually could if he wanted. And the cats could too, I guess. But I think cats are more afraid of us than we are of them. And 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 bears maybe in the most part, but if you get a sow with some cubs, she's gonna get straight defensive, you know. And uh as long as you can give them a wide berth, generally, man, they they're just curious. Those big old black bears are just curious and want to see what you are. And once they figure it out, they're they usually yeah. Yeah, they usually booger, but you know, for for me, elk hunting in in different states was always a 
it was always taboo for me because I didn't want to deal with the grizzly bears. Right. But I hear Wyoming is so good that, you know, Joe and I even talked about the other days, like, look, man, we don't know how this thing's going to go in New Mexico, you know, unless we find our own country, you know, to hunt and, and to get things rolling, we're going to have to, you know, live with what, tags that are left mm-hmm. and you know how i mean their 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 government system over there is deciding whether they even want to allow tags to go to 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 go to you know out of staters you know and if they want to just you know go straight you know across the board where it's all residents that get archery tags and so they're fighting a few internal battles there in the states and you know uh for me i mean uh, I would think that New Mexico would be, you know, well-versed and I mean, they, they're pretty liberal with some of their, with their draw and everything else. I mean, it's, it's, you know, probably not like some states that have a high preference points and stuff like that to get in these preferred draw areas. But man, if you can, if you know, you can draw a tag in one of the the units in New Mexico, man, you're going to be around a bunch of help because it's got more in there. Oh man, it's, it's crazy good. You know, same thing, you know, with, with uh, Colorado, I mean, it's got lots of elk in it, but it's got lots of people too. Well, you know, it, I, I think at least from, from what I know of New Mexico, what I've seen video, you know, is the, the advantage is how talkative the elk are. Oh right? man. Super Absolutely. Vulnerable, right. And you go to those and I, and I believe a hundred percent that, some of those units in Colorado, the elk are silent because of the pressure. This year was a little bit different. I didn't, we talked about this. I didn't see yeah. the, 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 you know, zipper lip elk uh, as yeah. much as I have the previous years in Colorado, which was great. You know, the, the mm-hmm. bulls were talking, they weren't talking a whole lot, but they were talking yeah. uh, the year before. What did we hear in season? Maybe two bugles the year before that, maybe three bugles in season, you know, um, the one year, I mean, it was like, us a rat fart. You know what I mean? You could yeah, just like yeah. hands behind your ear and you're that's just a rat pissing on cotton. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what it was, you know, and it's frustrating yeah. as all get up. So, um, yeah. but man, it, when I was in Wyo, woo, you couldn't stop them. I pulled really? up man in my little spot. As soon as I opened the door and got out. And it was just like, there's six, seven, Serenade. eight bulls just yeah, screaming man. within, you know, 600 yeah. yards of me. Right. And crazy. Just, and, and look, we've been, it's been that good in New Mexico where we've been. And then we've seen them shut up too. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nine, 90% of that time when they're shut up, something's wrong. They're either not in there or you ain't moved enough to find them. Uh, the weather's got them, you know, in the prediction, but more than anything, they ain't no rutting activity going on. You know, when they're silent and stuff like that, there's not a lot of rutting activity, which means you're probably not around a bunch of cows and, and things of those nature. So, you know, we've been fortunate to hunt some great units there. There's tons of units in New Mexico that are really good. Um, tons of units in Colorado. This is the first year that actually is the second time I've hunted elk in Colorado. Uh, but, you know, a couple of times I was with clients that I, we bought hunts for and we had them on guided hunt. So I was just there as a, as an observer, you know, but this was the first time I'd ever done a do it yourself hunt in Colorado and, you know, spike spiking out ourselves and, you know, uh, and doing everything and calling bulls and whatnot. It was, uh, it was crazy, you know, and the bulls not 
doing what we normally do in New Mexico was like, Oh man, where we do now, you know, uh, well now we just got to put, put boots on the ground and go, Go. you know, cover country till we find them. And then hopefully we can get them to respond, you know? And uh, that's what we did. It was funny, man. When, you know, we'd be laying on camp and I remember my wife was there and she was laughing at me because I'm, I'm laying there and I'm half asleep, man, you know, falling, zonking out in the tent and, they start right they're just piping off and i wake up and i'm like keep going big boy a few more hours man yeah. you get up and you get through gray light and dude it was dead silent they'd bugle yeah. all night yes. long and the, yes. and the biggest problem with where we were it was the country was so wide open and you would hear them bugling right and they'd be i mean you'd hear one bugling going northwest and you'd hear one coming yeah. southeast and and it's like damn they're all over the place and then yeah. come the morning they're all kind of concentrated you know here here and here and then man as soon as that as soon as that sun would peak i mean just the slightest peak over that mountain I, I think Dur- Durham had said it best this year because I, I was like, "Damn, these the same scenarios we are." He said there he called them vampire bulls because as <laughs> soon as that sun would crack, man, that was all she wrote. They wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't hear a freaking bugle during the day yeah. most times, you know. Yeah, and I, you know, I've been on the other side of that in in New Mexico where they bugling at two o'clock in the afternoon, man, in their beds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's crazy that the the difference in the country and the difference in the pressure. And look, I mean, we got tons of people around us too. It's all public land, but those there's just so many elk there that I think it lends itself to be more vocal. That's you got more opportunity pressure, yeah. for, yeah. Yeah, and a lot and a lot less pressure at times, you know. Uh, but you know, uh, guy, just got to thank you so much for what you do for for all the elk hunters out there, man. I mean, truly, it's an honor to be on your show uh, today, and thank Appreciate you so you, much man. for allow, allowing me to come out here and talk about. You know, you know, we talked a lot of, a lot about things today, you know, about how we got started and about, you know, how we kind of make things our own and finding our weak strengths and weaknesses. Some of the things that really make us successful is elk hunters and calling techniques and stuff like that. But man, at the end of the day, it's about finding the right type of guys to ride the river with. And uh, we, we appreciate what you do to help explore and exploit our sport and our love for what we do that we call elk hunting, man. Cause look, it's like nothing else. You've said it best you you can deer hunt and you can you know turkey hunt and you can go pig hunting with guys but man when you go get in those elk woods it's it's a whole different level you know and we just thank you so much for the opportunity to you come on our show and having me on a show has been a big honor man I, I i i really appreciate you letting me uh join the badass cali <laughs> pimp, pimp in the box man no i so, appreciate you bro yeah. I, i'm telling you i said it earlier man i was like how the hell haven't I had Gil on? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I was like, I'm gonna kick off. Love. I'm gonna kick off my recording schedule to get back in this with Gil. So that was I man. Was that's so cool, time, dude. Man. We we so appreciate it, man. And uh, you know, anytime you guys you want, I told Joe, man, guy can be a, a regular on our show anytime, man. It. It's so it's so cool, man, to have you and your man. You just bring such a great light to things and, and you, the way you interpret things so man don't stop what you're doing i mean everybody loves it so we're glad to have you back on the grind and back on the mic the pimp in the box <laughs> as uh jim rome would say yeah, so back it. at 
Uh, used to listen to Jim Rome a bunch back in the day when I was a sports nut. So, man, it's a uh, really cool, and I'm super excited for you and your family on the on the plans coming up. Man, we're yeah, gonna buddy. keep a, keep abreast with that, dude. I can't so, wait uh, to live with them. <laughs> I, hey man, I'm 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 be praying for you about that guy yeah, for that's, sure. That's man. the only prerequisite I have. That's all cool. <laughs> that's all cool. Well, dude. before we before we sign off, man, and and yes, you know, sir. And one thing has been has been tugging at me, and it's been part of my silence. And sure. I feel like with all the information that that is out there, and we put out, and and I think sometimes as hunters across the board, right, we miss the mark, and we miss the mark in conservation to a point, but mentorship and showing the importance of what we do and why we do it. Right. And we're in this, this never ending fight that seems to be escalating exponentially every single day that we're fighting emotions from the other side. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and we're in this battle that, Right now, on the on the face of it, I feel like we're losing. Agree. We want to provide facts. They're providing emotional-based information that triggers an emotional-based response. How, right. as hunters— Bad propaganda. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How, as hunters, can we share our stories, share what this means to us? How do we— fight the good fight. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, sitting there talking and having somebody listen to our facts for 20 minutes, but how, how do we put our best foot forward? In I'm telling opinion? you, man, I think it's, I think it's more about education, educating everybody around us, man, you know, educating that person that's, that's, that's a PETA person, right. That, you know, not just for people eating tasty animals, but the other it. side, of, <laughs> the other side of it. Right. Uh, we got to educate them people and not, and not do it in a way that's, uh, that's condescending or even uh, rude or nasty. We really got to let them understand that it's our heritage. You know, this is what we, what's what we came up with, you know, that Gucci bag you're wearing, uh, cows had to die for that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that, that Mercedes Benz with all the leather on it. I mean, many cows had to die for that. There's no difference in any of that. We just need to be smart about how we do it and educate our neighbors. You know, I got a lot of neighbors around me. Guy, we live in Texas, 90% of everybody down here hunts and eats what they kill and this that and other but there's a whole bunch of them that don't we got a whole bunch of these people that moved in down here that are from areas of the world and across the country that don't hunt and stuff like that but when they come over and walk in my home and they see <laughs> they see the 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 display that's here they're like oh my gosh man well do, do you eat these out? Well, right. Yeah. By the way, the, the meat that you ate tonight was all, you know, myself and my son provided that, you know, or myself and my daughter and myself and my, you know, my hunting partners. I mean, it's about education guy. I think it's really about us getting out, doing a better job of educating John Q public in what our heritage is and what our way of life is and that we're not trying to take away from them. We're not trying to harm the animals. There's no, an I tell this to everybody. I'm, I, and I've got a cousin of mine who I love. Uh, and my, we call her aunt, but she's really my cousin, my, my cousin, Susan. And 
I, I'm going to tell you right now, she she thinks that if you kill an animal, you like going to hell, you know, and I've had many talks battling on instant messenger. Not on I don't air my dirty laundry on Facebook or uh, Insta fame. I, I you know, I'm gonna, if I'm going to hit you, we're going to talk on the back channel or we're going to talk, you know, face to face. And I've had I've told her, I said, uh, how many coach perches do you have? How many Gucci bags you got? You know, <laughs> I know you drive a Mercedes, sis. You know, I mean, that's all leather. You know, uh, does your husband, you know, her husband drives a big suburban with all leather. I'm like, so when we talk about those things, I'm like, listen, I'm, I've never stepped a foot in the woods, elk woods, deer woods, whatever I'm hunting and have malice in my heart that I'm going to murder an animal. No, it's, it's, it's beyond that. We actually give thanks to our creator that created that animal so that we could live off of what it provides. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, you could go to a Walmart or HEB and buy a chicken. Well, absolutely. They shot up with all kinds of different, you know, uh, hormones or whatever. I mean, these are, well, she said, well, you can buy organic chicken. Yeah. Or I could go out there and shoot a pheasant and be no more organic chicken than that could ever be. You know, it, it's no different. You're going to go get your food at HEB. I'm going to go out to the field and go get mine, right? Just like we raised our own pigs and we raised our own cattle on the farm. You know, though, you have a farm because you live, right? And you live off of the farm. You live off of the land. Otherwise, if you don't harvest those animals for your consumption, you don't have a farm. You have a freaking zoo, okay? And, and, and. So we have to educate people on zoos are great. Okay. Got to have zoos for people, entertainment and stuff like that, but zoos are not going to save our, our species of animals, right? We have got to do better job at conservation, understanding all of our animals that are out there. And if we don't harvest those animals, they will die of starvation or Nature will take its own course in getting rid of them, as we've seen in other countries. I mean, look, man, there are more Nilgai today in the state of Texas in, than on all of India. Okay, more Nilgai. There is they're extinct in India. That's crazy. We, we have more Nilgai here in the state of Texas, right? Uh, I mean, it's the same with lots of different animals, and it's not because we hunt them; it's because we we. We we develop places for them to live. We have conservation programs where we have people that go out and do things to just like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, what they do for the conservation of the elk and what they put under their their flagship is, you know, these are elk designated areas and we're going to create funds and create people to go out there and do things, put guzzlers in and all kinds of things to help the elk. Right. We got to do that with our with our brothers and sisters next door, all the way to the Capitol, brother, all the whatever states you live in, your senators, your congressmen, they need to know how you feel. And it's you got to be proactive about it and you got to do it the right way. You can't got to be a little bit diplomatic. You can't go unleashed on your on your uh, law enforcement that's out there. You can, but it's it's highly it's be recommended detriment. that you yeah. yeah, it's highly recommended that you don't, you know. My grandfather said a long time ago, guy, you can catch a lot more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Mm-hmm. And uh it's it's true. It's really about how we approach uh our conservation and our way of bringing that hunt life Right. Or that harvest life 
to them. You know, uh, that's 100 uh, percent how, how we have to portray ourselves in a different light. You know, it's if inter- we don't oh, do it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Up, no, no, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, if we don't do that, we're only creating problems for ourselves and we already got them. Right. We already got everybody wanting to stand in the way and, you know, let let all the grizzly bears and wolves eat all the elk up. In the, up in the Yellowstone, I mean, and everywhere else. Look, man, those wolves are going to be out of control, right? They've already seen those things. So, man, what do you do? You let you let man come in there and harvest them as well as a regulation harvest. I think we got some really great biologists that are in this country. I think they've got to do their job. They got to set great hunt regulations and it'll help all of our herds of elk and moose and caribou and wherever else that they're at. But you cannot let a species run wild and decimate another species because you want to see them succeed. They all there is a balance of life, and sometimes man needs to intercede in that to keep that balance going. Especially when we encroach every day on their well-being and their way of life. Right? I mean, look how much land we've taken from them for all these cities and and stuff like that. Look at the amount of time we've had our hand in the proverbial pot. So to think that we yeah. can now pull our hand out. If it yeah. took us 200 years to decimate these animals, yeah. is is our hand coming out of the pot going to take yet another 200 years unmanaged to bring that back to what you think it should be in nature? I mean, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. But the reason that I asked that question is, again, I feel like we can do better, right? And I used to, when For I first sure. started the podcast, that was one of my questions on every single episode was about conservation and what it meant. And mm-hmm. and thinking about this and seeing where we're at and my concern with it and, and the things that I do and wanting to get that thought process going with more people is the reason I ask it. I'm gonna start asking again because I feel like I did wrong by not continuing that. Um, so mm-hmm. anywho, but on another point, I saw something interesting the other day before we wrap this is that, and and the numbers could be wrong, but check this out. So when people want to use that organic grass fed thing, yeah, grass fed is only uh, 30% of the diet. Okay. And then like they say, you know, not pen raised or whatever, that was some, yeah. it was like 130 days out of uh, average year and a half life or something like that. That's what constitutes right. it. Right. So 30% of the diet is, is grass. And then the rest of the time, whatever else they're, you know, whatever feed interesting. So when people use that argument, you know, I should have the number cause I saw it, I'm going to read it. Uh, but pretty interesting. Uh, when I hear that now, it, it just, Wow. I told my wife, did you hear that? So that grass fed is not really grass fed. Um, <laughs> but brother, I appreciate yeah. every moment I, when, of this. Um, for oh, sure. Sorry, I was going to tell you one thing about that grass fed stuff, man. If you ever get an opportunity to have the legend RC Knox on your show, get an opportunity. He is a real cowboy and he is a rancher that ranches to raise organic cattle. Okay. And organic hay. All right. So uh, at the end of the day, he's, you know, that organic hay you get more grub for because, you know, they don't use the fertilizers and stuff like that that are on them. So he's a farmer, man. That's what RC does. And he's been a cowboy all his life. I'm talking a real cowboy. Okay. And whose elk knowledge is through the roof, has bull kills in the 
high, high numbers, okay? He was the ranch manager for the UU Bar Ranch, which is a famed ranch in New Mexico for 15, 18 years. So you can only imagine how many bulls that that guy's been a part of, right? But he is a cowboy from every sense of the word and understands that lifestyle from from farm to finish. You know what I mean? And uh, if you ever get a chance to get him on your podcast, man, my, my brother, RC, the legend, he won't let you down. Yeah, I promise I have, you. He'll come I'll with some great stuff. Absolutely. I, bro. Yeah. After hearing him on you guys, but brother, I appreciate it, man. Oh, yes, sir. it's been a long time coming. <laughs> man, dude, we got to do it more often. Heck yeah, we do. Got to do it more often. And I'm glad you're moving a little bit further uh, to the east, man. That's going to be super cool when I yeah, I, when I get to New Mexico and when I come to Denver, because I come to Denver quite a bit uh, for business and stuff like that. I got to I'll have to come in and see you, man. We'll have to do dinner. I just got to convince my wife to let me buy all the makers. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't dealing with 200, uh, 200 square foot. Uh, Trapper Shack sitting Trapper on stool, Come on, baby. I was like, Shoot, it's, it's only a couple years old. You know, I'll get you a fifth wheel. <laughs> Dude, there's, yeah. there's, yeah. I mean, three, si- three sides, national forest. I'm like, I can't, I can't pass this up. <laughs> you better not tell him that gum mafia boys. They'll be on that like a rat on a Cheeto, son. Amen. I promise you. Oh, That's hey, a we, great deal. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. But, you know, we'll see. See what happens, but you brother, bet, man. I mean, we are almost three hours. I let you roll. You, you I are appreciate the man, you, man. And absolutely, dude. You, uh, you guys be safe out there in Cali, and watch out for the next guy, man. And we'll be talking to you soon. Hey, do me a favor. Send, yes, send me with your, uh, send me with your uh, salute, man. Let's. Joe's gonna say, "Why'd you do that on on there?" But hit him with it, man. <laughs> Not a problem, boy. Like it. we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands, kiss your wives, wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies. Uh, <laughs> your broad head, sharpen your powder yeah. dry. Let me, let me do it again here, guy. You'll have to, you'll have to cut it, man. Oh, I'm not cutting it. I'm not editing it. You messed it up, but I cleaned it. <laughs> I got you. Husbands, hug your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Western Contour. There it baby. is. Happy birthday, Joe. We love you, brother. Happy birthday, Joe. Peace. Thanks, Gil. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.